on the island. You must fight to survive. Even if that fight is mostly against your own mind. And a lot of guards and doctors and patients who are watching you. That's right. <laughs> For the very first time ever, I watched Shutter Island. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. And today is a very special episode. Not only are we covering a classic, uh, sad to say 2010 is over 10 years ago, so there's a nice reminder for you all. But we finally have the return of the one, the only, I can never remember. Do I just say Brittany Teeple or do I say Moto I say both. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget to ask what my guest wants to be introduced as. Brittany's back on the show. Welcome. It's only my third time. We're still <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I go by Moto on my handles, but you yeah. always know me as Brittany, so it's fine. <laughs> yes. Uh, my bad. <laughs> I I always forget like my my online famous friends. I like I'm like oh yeah I should probably like leave. They have there. a secret identity. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck you just gave them their address out for everyone to hear. I mean for everyone's information it's uh, 1314 State Boulevard. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully that's not right. I don't think it is. Get the coordinates. <laughs> 4,365. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's so nice. It's been far too long. I uh, I have a bad habit of like just. There's like a handful of people who bother me to come back on the show. And so it's really easy to just be like, yeah, we'll just do that. Whereas like I need to be more proactive about making sure I'm like inviting people back on the show. Cause like I know it's like I have a really bad habit of like getting in my own head where I just feel like I'm bothering everybody all the time. Like it's like such a big ass to be like, let's watch a whole two and a half hour movie and then let's talk about it for three hours. Like that's a, that's a big ask. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes I get in my head about like having people back on, but I'm so glad you're back. Me too. Love it. Like I said, I'm just, I always have like crazy busy years, but I'm like constantly watching movies. So it's just finding the time to be able to sit and chat about them. Yeah. Uh, always happy to be back. <laughs> no. Uh, and so, yeah, like you said, you've been on a couple times. And so we've discussed like your taste in films, I guess, if people really want to like go back through that. So I think we'll like hyper focus here on maybe like today's topic i'd love to talk to you a little bit about your relationship with scorsese and i'd love to talk to you a little bit about like well gosh i don't even know what you would classify this as like a dark psychological drama drama thriller mystery yeah i think it was mystery thriller <laughs> thriller is what it was categorized it's as. tough because like oh and, I, and it's good to get this out of the way right off the bat we're going to spoil the absolute ever-loving fuck out of shutter island uh like so and truly like more than most movies I cover for this show, this is a movie that if you've not experienced it, it is best experienced blind. Uh, blind. Uh, and so we will ruin the movie for you at least if you <laughs> haven't had your first viewing yet. So I do heavily encourage you to either make your peace with that 
or <laughs> just go watch the movie and then come back, which is always bad advice on a podcast to tell them to shut it off and go somewhere else. Well, but <laughs> Well, and I even recommend reading the book first because that's what I did. Okay. I'm one of those people who I like will buy a book at an airport and be like, oh, like, and then it randomly gets made into a movie like the next year, <laughs> which is, I think is what I did with this. And then I also did that with the recent one was the... Um, Knock at the Cabin. Okay, sure. Yeah, which that one was based on a Paul Tremblay novel that I read first. And then it literally was a month later. It's like, oh, a movie, and I'm watching the trailer. I'm like, holy shit, I just read that book. <laughs> like, I'm sure that's that book. Knock at the Cabin? Yes, Knock at the Cabin. And you and you did see that movie? I did. And I, I loved it. I will say it did, that was one of those where it's like, okay, you, you read the book, and you're like, okay, is how close is it going to be? Because you know the ending already, and it's like, is... Are they going to stay true to the ending or is it going to be different? And, so, and I will say that one's fun that like if you read the book and then watch it, it's like different in different ways. And I won't say how, but it was one where you're not going to be like, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see Knock at the Cabin, but I definitely I, I'm someone who's like somewhat interested in, in uh, Shyamalan's career just because <laughs> it's so up and down. Like the fact that he's had such high highs, but such low lows. Yeah is just interesting to like yeah. study a filmmaker and so when knock at the cabin came out and people were kind of like being like oh i think Shyamalan's kind of back or whatever i was curious about it but i never got around to it but one thing i do know is that uh it's my understanding he definitely picked a lane when it came to that whereas the book i think leaves things a lot more ambiguous yes um so and i, I know some people you know people there's a lot of people that are always going to be book purists and they just right. like which is I used to be a book purist. Like I had a, I, I can like pinpoint the moment where because I was really into the Harry Potter series mm -hmm. and Goblet of Fire was my favorite of the books. Yeah. And the movie might as well have acted like that book didn't exist. <laughs> and then just and I was and I was furious. <laughs> uh but then in retrospect, and especially having gotten experience making movies and yeah. writing scripts, I'm like, you simply cannot translate a thousand page book into a two hour movie. It's right. impossible. They did the best they could. I still think they left out some interesting elements and changed some stuff for no reason. But right. I've I'm kind of swung fully around to being more on like the filmmaker side, where it's like, yeah, yeah, like first off, there's only so much you can do to adapt a book to a thing, and second off, I've also come around to being like, I, I feel like there's like this very like slavish devotion to like, oh, you need to like beat for beat follow the manga or follow the comic book exactly i'm like right. well then well and the problem is you get these massive five-hour two-parters like freaking dune coming out where it's like part one <laughs> part two and my buddy and i are like well i don't even remember how the first dune we now got to watch a like a little clip of this is the recap and i mean i did watch like the original dune and everything but i'm like god it just feels like i've still yeah i've still not seen the lynch version um i will say uh denis villeneuve is like one of my favorite directors so he he gets a little bit of a pass for me for right. you know teasing us with just being like, here's half a movie. <laughs> yeah. See you in two years. Right. <laughs> I do say that like I I do think that only having the first half leaves a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. But I do think once the second part comes out, I do think as a whole that'll be one of our better sci-fi. Right. But could you imagine epics? like if they did that with Harry Potter, where yeah, if you have like the thousand page book and you try to include everything, and it's like, okay, Goblet of Fire Part One, Part Two, and now you're gonna have this series of books now turned into like freaking twenty years instead of the like however ten how. Well, it's it's funny because like that is kind of what they did with the seventh movie, and then now they're making a TV show. Oh my! So it's like I guess they'll just 
I don't know. There's like, too much for me to follow. <laughs> like, I, I like was starting to keep up with the Star Trek movies, and now I'm just like, we don't have Disney Plus anymore. So I'm like, I give up. <laughs> I'm done. Um, but it's tough because it's like, books are tricky because they're, like, books specifically, I understand maybe wanting to see the visual adaptation that, like, matches what you had in your head, but you're never going to, like, everyone's got different, uh, I was just talking to Justin last night, and he's like, oh, I read this book, and I was like, if John Barenthal doesn't play that character in the movie version, I'll, I'll riot. And it's like, people do get like certain images of like what characters are supposed to look like right. in their heads. And I, uh, and so you'll, you'll not, you'll never please everybody, but yeah. well, uh, I will say this movie though, was like almost a beat for beat, except for one scene, which was just like, he was playing cards with like the orderlies one. Night. And I was just like watching the movie and I actually really enjoyed that scene. I was like <laughs> waiting for it and it never came. And I'm like, that was literally the only scene they didn't <laughs> include in this movie. Yeah. And, and sh- I want, I, I did a quick like little thing. I usually try to have the letterbox pulled up, but the guy who wrote the book, his name's Dennis Lehane and kind of a, kind of a, back in the day we used to like have a couple authors where we would always just make their books into movies Mm -hmm. like uh, elmore leonard stephen king's obviously had a million books made into his uh made into movies um michael creighton to a certain extent uh jurassic park and westworld and all that but he's had shutter island mystic river Mm -hmm. gone baby gone and the drop which are like all like i've not seen mystic river um but i've always heard it's like good so he's he clearly uh, must have his finger on the pulse of like writings like these somewhat cinematic books. The Drop is actually a movie that's like a pretty contained, interesting little Tom Hardy movie that I quite like. He also has this movie called uh, Live by Night that I think Ben Affleck made that's terrible, but I never saw it. But <laughs> I, I heard it was just fucking terrible. Uh, but, you know, you know, shout out to him. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't even realize he had that many. Like, I haven't seen... I don't think any. I might have seen Mystic River, but it's you know been so long. Yeah, I'm. I feel bad because like Gone Baby Gone and The Drop are very straightforward mm-hmm. uh, stories. There's nothing like psychological or mystical about them at all. Like Gone Baby Gone is very much just like someone's missing and Casey Affleck's gonna figure out what happened. And then uh, The Drop is Tom Hardy like. Uh, it's basically like he brings mob money to bars mm-hmm. and then one of the bars gets robbed and he's like trying to figure out what happened. That's when he had both Afflecks then in one of his movies, the Casey and the Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ben Affleck did the live by night. So I guess he's huh. uh, tied with the Afflecks, but <laughs> I don't know if Mystic River has like any, uh, pardon the slight pun here, mysticism involved in it or if it is just like a straight ahead movie, but Shutter Island's so off kilter and psychological like i never in a million years would have guessed the same guy that wrote the drop wrote shutter island they're they're not very similar hmm. pieces of work but that shit amazes me too like i can't i like i've always been the one where i'm like oh maybe one day i'll write a book and i'm like i don't have any good ideas at all like and these people are like just oh i'm gonna randomly write this book and then oh now i'll do new idea like like where are yeah, they getting this shit some people just got it some people are able to also treat it when you when you talk about like your harlan cobins and your james patterson's like they've just turned it into a science like it's like 
Uh, sad detective. <laughs> All right. Person missing. Here's a book, bitch. Right. Like, they put out a book every year. Yeah, I'm always uh, a big fan of Dean Koontz was mine, because he's, like, he's like the other Stephen King, the lesser <laughs> yeah. King. But the I'm lesser like, King. I've always, because uh, his books are more digestible, like, so you're not sure. reading a 2,000-page book. Someone's got to give Stephen King a run for his money. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and his are kind of cool, too, because he has, like, a couple series. Like, he did The Odd Thomas, which did get turned into a Oh, movie. yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, and then... um. He did another one where it's actually the whoever played Dr. Cox in Scrubs. He was in one of his books where it was like he played this psycho that kidnaps a girl and then the other girl goes and chases after him. And that one I remember being really good. I can't remember the name of the book, but he has a lot of those very women centric ones. Okay. So he'll do like male protagonists, but then he also now has this like female detective series one too. Okay. So like I like his just. Yeah, I know my, I know my dad read the Scarpetta novels a lot. Uh, she was like a, she's like a forensic scientist who it's, it's like a classic like CSI who because it's a book she does way more than CSIs actually do. Right. <laughs> like, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's really cool that you've read the book though. Mm -hmm. it, it makes me feel like I should have like I've been so bad at reading books lately. I literally have three books checked out from the library right now, and I even. I put them on top of my dresser that's next to my desk, like purposely facing towards me so that when I'm sitting at my desk, they they're you. staring at me. <laughs> and I just like keep being like, nope, going to do D&D &D stuff instead. Right. right. That's <laughs> my problem, too. It's like if you have other hobbies, you're like, well, I need, I know I need to read these, but also like I, I have other shit I want to do. And yeah, I've started like probably eight books that I leave different places and I'm like, well, I don't even remember what that one's about anymore because I've started two others, but I got 10 pages in and then stopped <laughs> yeah it's very and i can very much trace it to mostly just because i have my phone in my hand 24 7 mm. yeah <laughs> it's like if i just put my phone down in another room like i would almost have no choice but to read mm -hmm. and the couple of books i've read somewhat recently i have very much enjoyed mm -hmm. and i do think that my mind was very much shaped by the fact that i read so much as a kid so yeah i, I wish i was i need to get back to reading more because like reading a book like shutter island would be because it's so Mm -hmm. about being in this character's head. Yeah. I'm sure the novel is actually very cool in the way right. that it's presented. Yeah, I remember, because I, I think people, like, I have read some things about comparing the novel to the movie, because, like, of course, you know, you have people who watch the movie, like, oh, my gosh, the twist is so great, but, like, when you read it, and you read it happening, and then you realize what's happening, like, it just is done so well. That's why it translates so well into the movie. It's just because it's, like, you don't see that coming at all. Like yeah. you it's like you're set up, you trust them. And, you know, you, of course, all like literature classes, it's like, oh, do you trust the narrator or not? But like, you don't know you can't trust him because right. it's like he's coming, you know, and that's the big thing, too, is like he's on a boat. He's coming. So obviously he's not, you know, anything to do with this insane asylum. So right. it's like you have that detachment of, OK, here's a character. Here's where he's going. Yeah, that's one of the funny things about the movie in general, where. I think what adds a little bit to the ambiguity of it in the sense that I don't think it's as cut and dried as some people say is that the how elaborate of a scheme that they've supposedly set up to help right. him is like it's like a bridge a little bit too far in the sense that it's like, OK, so they like they went as far as to like put him on a boat and like right. bring him in from the boat like that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> like for that's a pretty big ass for me to believe. So it, it adds like some a fun layer to it where you're like, this is a lot, right? But but, but I mean, when, then when the doctors are talking about it, how important this study is, like that's just to the degree. I mean, like you can just you know sedate him, stick him on a boat, and then oh he wakes up and okay, because it's not that like 
you know, far-fetched for them. Okay, we're going to put them on the boat, and then that's going to set them up to where... For sure. Yeah. But like, you wouldn't even think of that when you're watching it. Like, oh, he's on the boat. He's obviously seasick. But then Well, you- I, think you, I think you had a really good point with uh, the book stuff where, especially when the book is solely from a narrator's POV, like yeah. there's... It's really hard to like drop hints that they might be unreliable, right? Uh, and it's there's a lot of like, I saw a funny tweet or like a thread or something the other day where it was like, there was like an article that came out that was like, you know, sometimes maybe the curtains are just blue and it doesn't mean anything, and <laughs> it was like this like one article has has like ruined our ability to analyze media for years or something like that, which is funny because. I, I get the initial premise was like, well, maybe not everything is symbolism, but I feel like we've, I feel like we've swung the pendulum so far in the other direction where it's like, yeah, but there still is symbolism in most things, even yeah. if, even if it's subconscious symbolism, right? like maybe the author didn't mean for the blue curtains to represent depression, but they themselves were dealing with depression. Right. So they pictured a blue curtain when they pictured it. And that actually is kind of an insight to their psyche as they were writing the book which is like most things are i think people don't realize how many subconscious things that they do and how much of a tell those things are uh i I think there's a lot of people that don't take the time to reflect on like unconscious biases they might have of Mm -hmm. like the way they view the world the amount of times you'll talk to somebody and they'll just be like yeah, everybody thinks like this. And it's like, no, they don't. No. Like, not everybody thinks like that. And well, you need yeah. to analyze why you think and not everyone's is. had the same traumatic experience. <laughs> like, that's what's good, fun about this one is because he has been through so much trauma. Yeah. That, like, it just plays into the fact where you're like, oh, you know, he's been through these horrible things and he, he's probably fine. It's like, <laughs> no, he's not. He's not okay. But, like, he obviously seems okay. And- yeah. And it's like, uh, and that's a... I'm trying to, well, you know, Leo, getting into the Leo of it all also kind of is getting into the Scorsese of it all anyway. I do feel like an intense amount of regret suddenly of the fact that I didn't get around to seeing Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, so good. That would have been nice to have that also in my pocket for this discussion in terms of like Scorsese and Leo's like team up or whatever. But I just, I didn't get around to it. I was woeful last year in terms of like getting to the theater i still haven't seen oppenheimer oh man and these are all the gonna be like the oscar noms this I year know. for sure like, <laughs> i'm like between yeah like oppenheimer or barbie you've seen that right i did see barbie okay, okay. uh it came on i i do have a subscription to, to max as it's called now because everyone running every streaming service is an idiot but <laughs> it's like it's like we know hbo that's the prestige channel and the fact that you've like tried to get away from HBO, which we've always, we as a society have synonymously put in our heads as like prestige TV. Oh, yeah. And they're like, yeah, let's get rid of that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like when I was listening to somebody talking, they were like, it's really funny in a society that's obsessed with sequels and brands and like IP, recycling IP, that we're also like, let's get rid of HBO, the thing that everybody trusts. Right. Like, uh, anyway, that's a random <laughs> tangent. But, but Barbie came on Max and I finally was like, you know what? We're watching Barbie tonight. Right. Like, I need to just freaking watch Barbie because I'm tired of seeing people talk about it and not having context for it. And right. I wanted to love it, <laughs> and I kind of just liked it. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's one of the, it's a classic case where because it was such a popular movie, oh yeah, that there was so much discourse swirling around it that by the time I get to watching it, I go, yeah, it was right. fine. Like, I was like, yeah, it like said some stuff about feminism and the patriarchy, but it wasn't very deep. Right. But it's like, doesn't have to be because it's a broad appeal movie that 
in a good, in a very good way, I think, right. is like twelve year olds are going to see that movie and be like, yeah. What's up with the way society treats women? Right. Like it's well, okay. Yeah. It's okay that it's an on ramp. It doesn't have to be this right. incredibly. And people want it to be something that it's not. Uh, well, and the fun thing too is like it's also like an appeal to like what one of the attorneys I work for. He's like in his thirties, and he's like, "Yeah, I took my daughters, and you know what? I fucking liked it too. Like it's yeah. one of those where you don't think you're gonna like it. It's but fun like somehow. Yeah, you enjoy it. You have fun, and so it's gonna appeal to everybody, even though you don't. You go in. Think, I'm gonna hate this movie. It's like, no, you can't hate it. It's so good. Well, it's funny because uh, watching Margot Robbie in that movie, I was like thinking about her, and and I like her a lot. She's I wouldn't like if I was listing my favorite favorite actors. I don't know where she would fall. She's very much in the camp of like, I'm not gonna go out of my way to see something she's in, but yeah. I'm always happy to see her. Which is kind of weirdly the same box I put Leo in, where it's like I think Leo is like a tremendous actor and every movie of his I see I I do grow to appreciate him even more but for some reason there's this like I don't know if it's because of the real life stuff where mm, it's like yeah it sours your taste where it's like bit. we all know that for some reason he refuses to date anyone over 25 and <laughs> but it's like it's funny because that seems to be one of the only knocks against him where it's like he's like yeah. this very environmentally minded guy and like yeah. people say he treats everybody really nice and like him and Kate Winslet have like this amazing relationship right. and like she loves him and like it makes you feel like well he can't he must be a pretty decent guy for her to like love him so much and right. uh, same like the the young girlfriend thing it weirds me out a little bit but but yeah. then I watched something like Shutter Island. I'm like, he's still goddamn good. <laughs> yeah, my my first, like, I think probably still one of my all-time favorite movies is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. You know, uh, I've never seen that one. Holy shit. Okay, that's going to be one I come back for. Because that's, like, one of my favorite Leo, like, because he plays someone who's literally mentally handicapped. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, in order to have that believable and not be like oh you know you have somebody normal you know air quotes like playing you know someone mentally handicapped you got to do it sensitively yeah and make it believable which i mean other people have done it too like with what was it the other sister with um i can never remember her name she's also in what's eating gilbert grape <laughs> she, she plays um a mentally handicapped girl too that wants to like get married like her big sister juliette lewis Oh, sure, sure. And she's also in What's Eating Gilbert Graves, so it's, like, funny. That yeah. Like... Yeah, Leo's, like, um, well, it it made me think, like, I was, like, I, I was thinking about Margot Robbie and, like, her, I mean, she's, like, really skyrocketed. Uh, and I was, like, I was, like, what was, like, one of the first, I was, like, I guess Wolf of Wall Street was mm, yeah. one of the first things we saw her in. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, Googling, because I was, like, I was thinking about the way the movie treats her, because she's, like, very, like, objectified in that yeah. film. And I was kind of, like, uh and I was like, I was like, did she have a bad, I literally Googled basically like, did Margot Robbie have a bad time on uh, Wolf <laughs> right. of Wall Street? And like, the only thing she really had to say was like, oh, that scene where we were like having sex on the money. <laughs> like it, I did get a lot of paper cuts from that and that kind of sucked. <laughs> but other than that, not right. pretty good time. She's like, my family was weirded out because they were really excited. I was going to be in a big movie yeah, and I'm like, I'm like naked in half of it. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I think I had forgotten how naked she gets in that movie. Oh, I, yeah. Like, I was like, oh God, like, cause I was looking at a couple scenes and I was like, oh yeah, okay, hang on a second. I was <laughs> like, I don't remember her being this naked, <laughs> especially since she's like such a superstar now. You're, you're so used to like the really big names being pretty like adverse to doing nudity. Right. Uh, and so she's like one of the biggest stars in the world now. And like, yeah. like less than, I guess, exactly 10 years ago, pretty much. It's like, she's in Wolf of Wall Street right. doing that stuff. I was like, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's like, I think I've had Leo on the brain a lot because like I really want to see Killers of the Flower Moon. And one of the more recent episodes I did for the show 
uh, was the aviator. Oh, okay. And yeah. so it's just like the aviator was another, just I, again, every time I watch a, a Leo movie, I, I'm watching the aviator and I'm just like, God damn, he's good. <laughs> he's really good. Well, what's funny <laughs> is cause I, I think I did see something about, cause you know, you got De Niro and you know, it was Scorsese, right? Like, yes. That, and then with Leo and I guess Leo tried to like do a lot of ad libbing stuff and like, you had De Niro and Scorsese like rolling their eyes at him and a lot of it like because because he is such an actor that wants to like put his own part but they're like fuck that's not working like stop it like, so they had to like rein him back a little bit and like the old men rolling their eyes at him because obviously you got De Niro who's you know he's just a stand and deliver yeah well guy. I mean, he's just like I mean he's the epitome of he knows what he's doing and he this is the character this is what it needs to be and then you got De Niro or uh, Leonardo who's like well let's do this and that. And like, no, 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 no. Stop yeah. it. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Stand and deliver is unfair to De Niro because he is someone who pretty famously gets very invested in the characters mm-hmm. that he plays. Like De Niro, I think, is someone who, again, should have seen Killers of the Flower Moon before this. It but, is very good. But it's like, <laughs> I, I there was a period of time where he, people started to view him as almost like a caricature where it's like, yeah. it's like, huh, you talking to me? Huh. <laughs> right. I got nipples, Greg. Can you, can you milk me? But I'm like, he's literally one of the greatest actors of all time. Absolutely. It's like, go watch Godfather 2. Go watch Taxi Driver. Any of his early stuff. And then he's also kind of had a, almost mostly through Scorsese, like a late career. Like, mm-hmm. he's phenomenal in The Irishman. Yeah. Like, that, that movie's so tragic. Right. And he's great in it. And so. Uh, well, and you got him, too, with kind of a weird, you know, life too that he just had a kid and how old is he yeah him and patino have both Ugh. they both in their 70s <laughs> so have, have the newborns uh, which is fascinating and it really is like I, I, we've moved past midlife crisis into like late life crisis i guess but yeah i mean good for them i mean yeah i mean if you have the financial ability to have as many kids as you want i mean you go for it those kids are gonna have <laughs> the best freaking life ever yeah, I, i'd like to be De Niro's kid oh, even if like he won't make it to my high school graduation i prefer he doesn't like <laughs> go do your own thing man <laughs> but uh then again these days celebrities i think are living forever so yeah who knows De Niro might outlive me uh, probably all of us <laughs> but uh leo one of my favorite recent leo stories that i saw was back when uh Cameron was doing Titanic, right? Yeah. So he he brings Leo in and he's like just he brings him in to like meet with him or whatever. And Cameron's like a great sc- storyteller, of course. Uh even though all his stories apparently take place in the Avatar universe these days. Uh, <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> but they, they pay, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever makes him happy. He's very funny because like he literally won't do every interview. If you see a, a recent interview from him, mm-hmm. he's always in the same place. He's in his weird <laughs> Uh, like basement editing bay with all these pictures of like boats and the sea behind him, and he's just turned around talking to the camera. Like I've been watching a lot of those variety like director on director uh, things, and he did a him and Greta Gerwig interviewed each other, and he just it's the only time I saw them where they didn't bring him into the studio because James Cameron clearly was like fuck you. He's like I'm zooming in. And right, <laughs> like, I don't got time for this. <laughs> just like come on, uh, but it, they had a great conversation, uh, but. He tells the story of Leo where he brings him in. He's like, and I noticed like uh, all the women in the office are kind of hanging around. He's like, yeah, it makes sense of the executive producers here, but also like uh, hair and makeup was like there. And like <laughs> the secretary was wanted to sit in on, on the reading. And this, he's like, he's like, but then you meet Leo and you're like, yeah, I get it. He's, he's cute. Like, uh, <laughs> he's cute. <laughs> well, it's like, I think people forget like things are so, it's all everyone's so online these days, mm-hmm. but 
like up until very recently, we definitely had like people that were like bona fide superstars that were like, mm -hmm. it's like Leo was like the cutest, hottest mm -hmm. guy in the world for a long time. Yeah. And I think it's easy to forget like how young he started because I'm watching Shutter Island, which is a movie that's only 10 years ago. And I was like kind of taken aback by just how young Leo still seems in yeah. that movie. Like he's, he's like, I, I mean, he's aged well, but oh, yeah. it's, but it's also like, I'm like, yeah, he really. He was like fucking seventeen when he started, and like, yeah. and that was well, even younger, wasn't he? I think he was like maybe in his fourteen when he yeah. was. He guest starred on some like sitcom. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, and like when he does Titanic, he's like nineteen, twenty, or something like that. But James Cameron's like, yeah, I think he's the guy. But then he's like, okay, I need to bring him in to read with Kate Winslet, mm -hmm. and so he brings Leo in, and he's like, Leo shows up, and he's like, yeah, I'll have, we'll go in here. You'll read with Kate. He's like, well, he's like, wait, you want me to read? He's like, yeah, I'm going to have you read with Kate. And he's like, I don't read. And James Cameron was like, oh, well, you don't get the part. And he was like, what do you mean? If I don't read, I don't get the part. And he's like, yeah, that's how it works, dude. He's like, he's like, this might just be a job for you. He's like, but this is going to be like the next three years of my life. Right. I got to make sure I have the right guy. Yeah. And he says like, Leo's all pouty and his shoulders are all slumped. He's like, Ugh, uh, and he like goes in the room and then he meets Kate. And then it's like the second there they go into it just he's like cameron describes it like he's like a beam of light just comes down from the sky angelic voices and i'm like that's jack he's wow. the, he's the fucking guy like the way he's able to just turn it on uh he was like i guess he's the guy but then he also so he's like okay i'm committed to leo he's definitely the guy him and kate have bonkers chemistry he's like okay we're good but then leo hits him up like a few weeks later he's like me and my dad have been reading the script and we've been kind of talking about my character like maybe he's got like a limp or, or like <laughs> all this stuff and like i, I really I, I bring this up because i really appreciated listening to cameron say this as a director because i'm in the same boat sometimes when i write stories where i get very focused on character flaws right. like i think flaws make characters interesting and stuff like that but cameron basically sat him down and was like look leo he's like maybe you're not right for this part because here's the thing about the character you're playing like he doesn't have all these weird quirks mm -hmm. he's like he's like i know you think the quirks are like what acting is he's like but what real acting is is you just being able to stand there and deliver be a guy and be a, <laughs> and be a guy and he's like he's like what he said when because he thought like leo was just trying to use crutches but he said that like once he described what a challenge it would be to be a guy and still hold the audience's attention said it really lit a fire under leo and that was when he really knew like leo was the guy because he's like oh he wanted the challenge he didn't want the easy way out he right. thought like the the flaws were the challenge and the, so when i presented just being a guy as a challenge that like made him really excited about the part and i thought i think about that all the time where i'm like yeah it is like a lot of my favorite actors growing up like they just have it you know, like I talk about like people like Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. It's like when you see Harrison Ford on screen, you're just like, mm. look at him. Like, <laughs> look you, at you, you just can't look away from him. <laughs> Last night, the movie that I did was 48 hours. Mm. You see Eddie Murphy on screen. You're like, I mean, <laughs> the guy is just like, there's never been anyone like him. He yeah. just oozes charisma out of every fucking pore. Right. Like uh, it, there's just something magical about being able to like just be the guy, you know. And mm -hmm. so and that being said. I watch stuff like Aviator and Shutter Island and like he just it's funny because he Leo like basically has his voice mm -hmm. a slightly southern version of his voice and like a slightly Boston version of his voice he never really sounds that different in any movie mm -hmm. 
but he's one of the few like superstars who I think really disappear into the roles. Like right. when I watch The Aviator, mm-hmm. I see the, I'm blanking. Is it Howard Hawks? Like uh, Howard Hughes? Oh yeah. I, I see Howard Hughes. Right. Well, and that's like, catch me if you can. He was yeah. That, like nobody. Which else. I I'll admit I've not seen that oh, one either. God, that, I, I know. I know. Because that's one where he literally is the like the that can like take. He was a chameleon. He's like, okay, now I'm a lawyer. Now I'm like, yeah, this or that. I've seen a couple scenes from it where it's like he, Brilliant. he walks into like a classroom and just kind of looks around and goes, "Fuck it, I'm the teacher." Yeah, and that's <laughs> it's just to be able to like be believable in any situation like that is so him so it's like he's perfect for that role too yeah and in shutter island i think that i both love and hate that i knew what the twist was right uh because like it did allow me to watch his performance a lot more closely and see the tells that he was slowly giving Mm -hmm. and watching him unravel makes a lot more sense once you know where it's going whereas like I'd be curious what it would have been like if in 2010 I had gone to the theater and just seen it. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, like, I don't think the movie is fully hiding the, the twist. Like, right. like well, it, it's not that, like, it, right off the bat, they're like, there's little things. Yeah. And, and, but I don't know if I was noticing them because I was hi- hyper vigilant. Because, yeah. like, right off the bat when they're on the boat, there's this shot where he's just fully looking the wrong way in a close-up. Like, mm-hmm. he's looking to his left. And then it cuts to this wide and he's looking to the right. Mm-hmm. And like in a movie like this, where someone takes a drink of a glass of water, I'm using air quotes and, yeah. she, and she just has an empty hand. Like I the, saw that. I was like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. We just, I didn't notice that the first time around, but I looked at my husband cause we watched it together and I'm like, wait, d- she didn't have anything. Right. Well, yeah. so that almost just makes you think how much of it. Cause I mean, there is a lot of hallucinations, hallucinations going on. Yeah. You wonder to what degree are we seeing the hallucinations or is he seeing it or right. did he really give her a glass of water or did he imagine the glass of water? Yeah. So there's, there's stuff that almost seem like editing errors, but they're right. not, they're purposeful. Yeah. Cause it's like, I, and I do say like if the, the one that first caught my eye was when they're on the boat, there's this close up Cause I literally, I never rewind stuff, but I was so like, Cause I was like writing a note down. It was like, I had a note that was like, Leo does not like being on this boat or something stupid like that. <laughs> and, and then I looked up and I was like, and he was looking one way and then it cut. And I was so like jarred. Cause the thing is like, I'm an editor. Yeah. And so I'm so hyper vigilant about like continuity and making sure people's hands right. are as close as they could be to like from shot to shot. And it's funny if people want to, it's, it's funny, first off, like how much people don't actually notice stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. used to notice any of it. And now that like I've, you know, talked to people like you or, or like have seen the process, like you look <laughs> for it more and notice it more. There's a TikTok I saw recently where this uh, woman was breaking down this like Hallmark movie scene. <laughs> and this woman has like a glass of wine and oh, every shot, it, every shot, like it's in her right hand and she's taking a sip. The next shot, it's back on the table. The next shot, it's back in her left hand. And there's not like even have been time for her to like have done any of that. It's just jumping around <laughs> everywhere. And and that is the kind of stuff like when you're shooting, you don't catch because the actors just kind of. And the thing is, you and a lot of like professional editors that are just there to get the job done, they don't give a shit. They're right. like, this is the take uh, where she says the lines. And, they, and there's probably parts of the conversation they trimmed out. Mm-hmm. So like maybe there was like a line where she switched hands or whatever but they just cut that line and and sometimes people don't notice that kind of stuff but in a movie like this it's kind of funny because 
anything that could be an editing error could also just be like a hallucination. Right. And so it's like their getaway too. But and I noticed that too a lot more that I watch when people are eating, like family dinners and stuff. Like a lot of the times they're just moving the food around and oh, yeah. because you don't want like, you know, half the food to be gone in one scene. Well and also like uh oh who who is it that tells that story? She's it's funny, it's in a Scorsese movie, I think. Uh Laura Dern or maybe it was Lynch I don't remember. When Laura Dern was really young, mm -hmm. she was like 12 and she was in this movie and there was a dinner table scene and she's like i want to eat i want to eat the whole ice cream cone in in the shot and they were like well we're gonna probably have to run this like 18 times right you're gonna eat it he's like so you're gonna have to eat it 18 <laughs> times and she's like i ate that fucking ice cream cone like 18 ice cream cones <laughs> like uh, and she's like i was sick as a dog but <laughs> he told me like you're gonna be a movie star someday or something like that she's it's like a really cute story like commitment. Uh, uh yeah i think i I think I like saw the interview because I did Wild at Heart for the show and like well, I was just looking up Laura Dern stuff. But uh, it is like for continuity, like if you chomp food in, in a shot, like right. you're probably going to have to chomp that same amount of food every time. So yeah. people will just like push stuff around uh -huh. on their plate or if you watch like cigarettes or glasses, like the levels of the glasses will change all the time. The, the, how much ash is on the cigarette it will just wildly <laughs> be all over the place like right. to the point where whenever people smoke cigarettes in like a long scene in a movie from now at this point i get like nervous about just like i'm like how do you even like do the scene because you're gonna burn through the whole cigarette in like right. a minute and then you're gonna just like i don't know you're gonna light another one or like i'm sure props probably have like special cigarettes that burn slower now or something i, I don't know but but it is funny, like in a movie like this, where they're just like ripping cigs and like every oh, yeah. <laughs> every scene. <laughs> oh, but again, the continuity of the cigarettes doesn't matter anymore, right? Because it's like the cigarette might not even be there. Well, it's like the fact that there's like a cigarette on the ledge when he comes back that's like still burning. Right. I was like, what? <laughs> like, well, and that one is especially interesting too, because like I mean, he actually sees you know his partner Chuck has fallen you know down at the bottom and you see the body but then he goes down there and there's no body it's like well was there even a cigarette or yeah because like, that was i think when he was really off the medication and he was fully like hallucinating like everything yeah um should be said uh if for some reason you're sticking through this episode and you, <laughs> you've decided you don't care about spoilers we've already kind of spoiled some of it yeah but if you just want a little context for the episode itself um essentially the bare bones plot of shutter island is leo is playing this detective named teddy he's a marshal he's a marshal he's a u.s marshal i'm a u.s marshal federal oh, we have federal authority here i guess he has more of a boston accent i'm i'm a u.s marshal i can't i'm just doing <laughs> <Man>. southern <laughs> your cousin from boston boston got the car <laughs> <laughs> get out of the car <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta be fucking kidding me teddy uh, but he's a U.S. Marshal. He's been called to the island because one of their patients, mm -hmm. not prisoners, uh, even yeah. though this feels like a prison island, has escaped Rachel Solando, and he's been called in with the help of uh, Mark Ruffalo, who mm. he's never met before, supposedly, but they're teaming up for this case to find this missing person. But the deeper they go, the more it seems like maybe this island's like a cover-up for like Nazi experiments and they're maybe they're creating super soldiers by fucking with people's brains and there's all sorts of weirdness going on but then again guys cannot stress enough we're gonna spoil big spoilers big big spoilers <laughs> uh by the end of it it's sort of revealed that this has all been 
an extremely elaborate hoax to uh teddy had this horrible multiple honestly horribly traumatic things happen to him the chief amongst them being his wife went absolutely nuts drowned their children and then he killed her sort of in retaliation but also like kind of to free her quote unquote uh and so couldn't deal with the trauma has basically created this entirely different persona and has over the past two years has just been playing this supposed mystery out on a loop over and over again and so ben kingsley the doctor's like i decided to like really let you go for it to see if i could maybe maybe it would break you out and so the ending is a little bit ambiguous i think some people argue that like he breaks out of it and then like i'd be curious i mean it's terrible like start the episode i guess it's not the start of the episode we've been talking for fucking half hour but <laughs> uh like for you, I've noticed a lot of people's interpretations of the end is like he come he comes out of it. He says like, "Yes, my name's Andrew Latis. Like, mm -hmm. I killed my wife." But then, essentially, the last scene of the movie mm -hmm. uh, reverts back. Supposedly reverts back, mm -hmm. but some people think he doesn't revert back, and that he just people really hang on to that. The last line of the movie yes. essentially is he's like, he's like, is it better to? become a monster or is it better to die a good man or something along those lines you know, here i actually wrote it down live as a monster or die as a good man yeah and so people think that he is just choosing to be lobotomized because mm -hmm. he doesn't want to deal with it anymore well, so and i'm curious for you like yeah. especially someone that's because i'm still kind of mulling it over i have a tendency to lean towards that interpretation but i don't know if you have any preferred interpretation well, and I, I'll say it's been a long time since I read the book, so I actually kind of, like, read a couple articles about, okay, here's what's different from the book and Scorsese's, you know, interpretation with the movie, and the ending in the book is actually 100%. He comes out of it. Okay. They give him that. They're like, okay, and he just, he's like, no, lobotomize me. Like, I'm choosing to be lobotomized. So Scorsese took it the different way of, well, let's leave this open a little bit to where- Which I like. Right, because, like, then you see Ruffalo's character where he's like, oh, holy shit, no, he's out of it, but he's already walking away. <laughs> like, he's like, no, no, I'm going. He's like, but it, he kind of gives him that, you know, side-eye look of, yeah, yeah like, I am I know what I'm doing, but I can't live with the guilt of, you know, what happened. Because essentially what happened was, you know, she drowned his children. Because he kept ignoring the fact that she was clinically depressed. She literally, yeah. I really liked the one scene where he's talking about how she had told him that it felt like there was a bug in yeah, her head. Yeah, scratching around inside her head, pulling around. the wires. Yeah, just to just to do it and see and make her do things. And he still ignored it and let her, and it's like, well, let's just move to the lake here and like, <laughs> it'll be fine. And he still left his kids with her knowing that she was not mentally sound. And so yeah. that's. Well, and then also you you can't ignore the fact that he also was, you know, a soldier that was one of the soldiers that went and to the uh, concentration camps, you know, and yeah. was there because there's a lot tied with it, especially in his dreams. They correlate to like the the camps and then they also kind of combine his wife and kid because like you see these different scenes of like, you know, Rachel Solando is one of the, you know, dead, you know. Uh, prisoners there and the, right. the little girl but the little girl ends up being his little girl so the two traumas kind of combine in his and then the little girl's named rachel yeah well uh, and, and the thing that i was re really interested in was when the doctor said well you did go to those concentration camps but there was a scene where he was talking about how he 
killed all of the officers. Like they lined them up and killed them all, shot them. But <laughs> he's like, well, there's no evidence that you actually did that. Like right. you were there, but this probably didn't happen. And so you just have all this confusion of what. There's what a. Happened. There's a. I I I try not to lean too heavily on like watching videos to like come because like part of the reason I do this show is like it's called Clear Attentive Classics like. I just watched the movie mm -hmm. for the first time. Like, right. what are my fresh interpretations of it? But there was a video I watched that I was glad I watched because the thing is, like, I don't know shit about World War II <laughs> <Right>. history. <laughs> I don't know shit about classical music. So these are details I would never have picked up on. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember specifically the name of the piece that is playing when they meet Max von Sydow. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a very deliberate piece of music because not only was... The composer actually a Jewish guy, mm -hmm. which is like, why the fuck would they be playing like a Jewish guy's? Like, I think literally they ban the guy's music like at Nazi camp. So it's like, there's no way that that record was playing when he when they walked into that building. Mm -hmm. But also like that particular piece was actually unfinished and stuff. And so there's like weirdness with the piece actually being fully together, and it's sort of like a subtle hint that like Andrew slash Teddy's his like it's an illusion that the fact that he's not fully put together either and like mm -hmm. that there's all this like weirdness going on with the music but i'm like i don't know classical music at right. all I wouldn't so <laughs> and there's another th detail that was something like every picture that you've ever seen from like auschwitz and all those places is like it didn't snow mm -hmm. there and so all these like snowy memories actually don't make sense in terms of like realistic history which huh. that one i'm like it's a little more like that could just be Scorsese thought it would look cool in the snow. Right, part of the dream. But, you know, with a movie like this, it's like, maybe it was intentional. It's like, it's tipping off that his memories are just not true. Right. Um, that being said, the some of the memory stuff, like, I don't really get too, it's like, especially when you know movies, it's hard to get scared by like horror and stuff like yeah. that. That being said, I'd say like those piles of bodies are pretty high up there in terms of like maybe some of the most horrifying imagery I've yes. ever seen. There's something about a, frozen pile of bodies mm -hmm. and there's also something i think there's like a another layer to it knowing that it's like kind of real mm -hmm. like that they really did just dump people's bodies like that so that yeah. adds to like the horror of it maybe mm -hmm. it was just like i i think that this movie probably deserves a little bit more credit for the horror elements of it mm -hmm. it's like it doesn't lean too heavily on that most of the time but in terms of like things where i'm sitting back in my chair going oh god like the bodies being piled up, like mm -hmm. watching him slowly take his drowned kids out of the mm -hmm. lake. I'm like, those are like horrifying images. Oh yeah. Uh, and like, you know, props. It's not, I mean, yeah, he, you get some like jump scary stuff when they're like yeah. in ward C, but, but even that's like just the weird bald Victor Zaz looking guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, but then he starts being like, you know, how hydrogen bombs work. And you're and like, you're sitting there like, what? Why is he talking about hydrogen bombs? Like, like <laughs> well, that's what I love about the whole setup. Like the whole idea of that. It's at this criminally insane, you know, these are people that have done horrible, horrible things. But, and then like you see, you know, Teddy's backstory of, you know, he's been through these horrible things that, oh, he definitely has PTSD. He definitely has, you know, trauma from this, but you don't ever think of it that way like you like at least when i was reading the book never made the connection totally didn't even like i was like oh no he is a federal marshal he's there he's like out of his element with all these horrible people but then yeah you you hear his backstory and you're just oh man he's been through so much but it never clicks well it's like way. it's a and i think it's why this material is like so well handled by scorsese because he's an old school guy and we're 
talking about a World War II vet, it's like, you know, that was back in the day when we still weren't fully grasping the the realities of like what PTSD was and like how, because it was always like guys were just like, you just shut up, you push it down, you don't right. talk about your feelings. And it's like, no, these are horrifying things to have witnessed. Right. Like, obviously, much more horrifying for the victims of like Auschwitz camp and stuff like that. But still to, to witness these atrocities, like it's hard to, I, I really like the World War II stuff that gets woven in because it makes the, even though the story's so laser focused on like Teddy slash Andrews, like what he's going through, it has like such rippling implications in terms of like, yeah, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of people that went through this same experience and they're all dealing with this. And then you compound, cause I mean, the thing is like part of the reason he ignored his wife's depression is cause he was dealing with his that, own yeah. shit. Like he had a lot going on dealing with his PTSD drinking to suppress it throwing himself into his work and just ignoring all the warning signs at home Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) i did laugh like one of my notes uh i texted some of my friends it's like oh i watched shutter island for the podcast and one of my friends was like yeah that 2010 movie where leo's wife has a traumatic ending oh wait no that's inception (laughs) or uh, (laughs) so so 2010 leo had not one but two movies come out where (laughs) like some horrible thing happened to his wife and it like ruined him for for forever (laughs) and i was like yeah he's really going through it in 2010 he is (laughs) (laughs) poor poor leo i guess but i actually have seen inception so Mm -hmm. uh but yeah it's it's funny like to look at shutter island and inception as like weird i wouldn't like, guess parallel pieces the same time. yeah that's yeah. crazy <laughs> like, well, i guess mainly because the book did come out in 2003 so it did it didn't feel like it was that long after but maybe because i didn't buy the book until you yeah know, whenever and so then to have that come out like yeah i would almost think he was a lot younger in this than he was in inception oh yeah like, looking at him like i don't know why but i feel like maybe if i were to like pull inception up i would think he was a comp- completely different age than this it's possible, like... I mean, because, yeah, technically movies getting filmed and released different times, but... True. Like, I mean, it's not like he filmed them both at the same time. <laughs> right. uh, I have to imagine that Shutter Island probably took a long time to fully put together, too, because I don't... Like, I knew that there was, like, some CGI chicanery mm-hmm. going on in this movie, but I saw a really brief video where I was like, oh, I did not fully grasp, like how much cgi was in this movie Oh, like the storm probably With, like the storm like anything that's where he's climbing around on the rocks like if you yeah. look it's like they're in a studio mm. with a tiny bit of rocks for him to climb on and everything else is just blue hmm. and they'll, you see the blue screen and like they did it like there was a part of me that was like this can't be like him and, right. Ma- yeah, him and mark really. ruffalo are not standing <laughs> on the edge of a cliff that precariously <laughs> right but at the same time i don't think i like they were yeah it didn't look like cgi yeah i felt like i'm someone that's not a big cgi fan but i'm gotta say looking at some of the behind the scenes of this movie i'm pretty damn impressed mm-hmm. uh, the only one that was kind of egregious to me was when he's talking to the warden mm-hmm. in the car there's the forest behind both of them is so like obviously cgi <laughs> green screen that like my note said like him and the warden have a nice green screen talk uh, but again th- that's the trouble with a movie like this where the woods behind both of them while they're talking is so like unrealistic looking but then you kind of get in your head where you're like well maybe scorsese wanted it to look unrealistic looking because right. this is the only conversation he has with the warden who's well, like this weird figure 
Uh, so I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> well, and my thought is, is like, was there even a storm? The hard part is, is like. The, st- the storm is, the, uh, that was the one thing that I was trying to do a little Googling about. And it seems incredibly inclusive about like, I have to imagine it was real. Well, I don't but think I don't it know. was because he talked about, you know, like we've done this, you know, a hundred times. You do this every day where we go through, you know, the motions of it, right down to the storm. I think he might have even said, but now I can't remember if I'm just putting that in my head because I'm like, wait. <laughs> Did the storm actually happen? Because you got to think all that cleanup, all of this, all the prisoners breaking out, was all of that done like purposefully or was that just him picturing that as an opportunity? Because like obviously there there was someone always on him. He didn't know that, but there was always somebody watching him because you can't have, you know, like that's what's crazy too is like once you find out what happens, you're like, holy shit, they did let this like criminally insane dangerous man just walk around and interrogate like right. prisoners like that's very unsafe which is probably you know why the warden was so fucking pissed off like he's looking at this like like everyone's glaring at him all the people yeah. with guns and then and he's just paranoid thinking oh like they don't want me here there's a secret They're like no you don't want you here because you're gonna probably kill somebody <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's weird because i think one of the things that's because the movie is entirely from leo's perspective there's not a single scene that he's not in one of the things that bumped me was that boardroom meeting that he walks in on where they're like arguing about like whether to chain the prisoners or not. And it's like, well, if you chain them, they're going to fucking drown. Right. And they were having the conversation in a way that felt like they were having an actual real conversation where they're like, yeah, I know Leo's like running around doing his dumb bullshit, but we have an actual problem that we need to discuss. And it was almost like he barged in on the meeting. They weren't expecting him, but then you can't trust anything that's happening. Right. Like Leo could have envisioned them having that conversation. Like, a lot of people commentate on the storm, but all those people are in on it. So maybe they've been told to like play into that there's a storm right. going on. But it's like, I don't know. Was he imagining all those trees that had fallen that's around the yard that they were like picking up? I'm not sure. And one of the things that's hard to parse in this movie is there's a lot of symbolism with the water and the fire mm-hmm. that people talk about. Yes. Where it's like, I actually didn't put this together. Again, I don't want to lean too hard on like videos I watched, but some people have theorized like the reason he's so seasick uh on the boat is like he has a, an aversion to water because he fished his three dead children out of a right lake. although uh, you see what i was thinking was because they actually mentioned you know he's been going through withdrawal that whole time i'm like well that was like t- essentially the first day he's off you that's know, true vacation it could just be that withdrawal of like because when you go off withdrawal from any drug like it could you could get sick and so Maybe that's like, oh, you know, my first time on a boat. Like, that's why I'm sick. Yeah, but, like, yeah. it could just be, oh, no, you're off your medication that you take literally however many doses of everything. Yeah. It's so a- everything, that's what's crazy about this movie is everything has an explanation. Mm-hmm. Like, because that one dream that he does have, I did take notes on that because I didn't notice that the first time around. Because in his head, he makes it out to, she died in the fire. Yeah. Which later on we find out she set the fire. They had to move because she burned their apartment. She building. died from the smoke, not the fire. Right. That's, that's Which, important. <laughs> but still, in the dream where she catches on fire, like there's that water running down, like that dripping. But then, yes. you know, he wakes up and there's water dripping. So it's like, oh, you know, that's why it was in there. But then, you know, later you find out, oh, that's why she was all wet. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say the uh, that particular dream scenario, like, so that happens about, like, I'd say, like, 25 30 ish minutes into the movie that was the first dream scene yeah yes. and that that's the moment where i finally sat up a little bit and went because i was like interested in where it was going and then when it, you start getting like that dream sequence and the thing is i've seen like screenshots from that dream sequence it's like kind of an infamous scene but i really because like immediately when they're in there there's just these 
ashy particles that are falling the whole time. And like, they're having this, I just love like dream logic, dream scenario, like people that are talking to you that aren't really there that are like figments of your imagination. I'm like a real sucker for those kind Mm -hmm. of tropes. Like something I did wrestle with a little bit in this movie. I think it's been on my mind a little bit lately because, um, the local film festival that we have here in town, I screen for them sometimes. And I always, I always submit a movie almost every year too. And they have sort of like a list of like, we don't really want the movie if it has any of these things in it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they have like on their list is fridging women, which is like a term that, that is used to sort of, uh, the basic premise of fridging someone is to like kill them in order to give, uh, like a male character, like a tragic backstory or something mm. like that. And so I watched something like Shutter Island and I'm really taken by the darkness and, and tragedy of like the fact that his wife went crazy and mm. how that affected him and stuff like that. And, but then there's like this little nagging voice in me that's like, it's like, does this fall into like the frigging women trope? I'm like, kind of like. Well, and it's interesting <laughs> because you can't even necessarily say. He just snapped and it was a crime of passion because normally, though, because he, do, he, he does kill her by just shooting her. He doesn't even look at her when he does it. Like, yeah, he, it's like very much like he doesn't even want to. But like this horrible thing happened and he feels like it must happen. Kind of like how he mentally sees that, oh, all this horrible stuff happened. We just killed all those officers. And they're like, well, that didn't actually even happen. That, but- that scene that the officers, uh, the Nazis being killed scene. I, I'm not going to lie. I chuckled a little bit. <laughs> right. Because they comically like. There's, but it's also like the fact that. They do this long trucking oh, shot, and yes. I'm like, the way, because like, if if you were shooting all of them, they you would just shoot all of them, all and they once. would die. But like, because we're trucking, we're just slowly seeing like all of them being shot, like almost one by one, and they're just yeah, and they are like comically flailing, right. and also they're Nazis, so right. it's like, so like there's like if there's one type of person that it's that it's fun to see die on screen, it's right. Nazis. Uh, so like. I, I I was kind of morbidly. I thought that was like morbidly comic, right. but but then but then like because they do say he's so dangerous and like prone to like just random violence. But like he doesn't kill his wife by strangling her. He doesn't take her over and drown her like she did the kids. Like he just right. puts her almost puts her out of her misery because it's like he feels bad and it puts him out of his misery of he did this and she's gonna still keep living on knowing she killed their children. Yeah, I mean she's it's, it's not good. It like, just seemed more like a euthanasia than a crime of passion on him. Yeah, she says like like he's and he brings it up like she says something like free me or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's tough because like I do like analyzing media through like a critical like feminist lens. That's like what I learned to do in college. And so there's a part of me it's like, oh man, like like jokingly about the Inception movie, it's like Leo had not one but two movies where (laughs) I'm I'm a guy who's super sad that my wife is dead. Mm -hmm. But at the same time like the evocative imagery of like, and also just like Michelle Williams, like, like you said, there's all this fire, but she's like dripping wet. And you're, and you're like, I've just never quite seen something like that before. And I was so taken by it. And I love those aloof conversations that they have where she's like, he's here. Mm -hmm. Who's here? Like, and, and, and like, I I get really drawn in by that stuff. So like, there's a part of me, it's like, I love this shit. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me from like a critical standpoint. That's like, ah, man, that's a trope that I wish wasn't such a trope. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It doesn't really ruin the movie for me personally. But I I like mentioning stuff like that on the show because I just want people to know that, like, 
yes, I'm aware it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm aware for some people it's kind of a deal breaker. Yeah. Like there's movies I like where there's things that happen in the movie that people are like, no, this movie's fucked up and no one should watch it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> uh, like a, a good recent example is like Licorice Pizza. I haven't uh, seen that yet. Um, most recent PTA movie. And the core central relationship is between a 16-year-old boy and a 25-year-old woman. Well, which uh, is like, <laughs> and there's some people that are like, fuck this pedo movie. This is not okay. If the genders were reversed, no one would be okay with this. And, but I'm kind of like, I don't know. I watched it. And the thing is like the thematic elements of the movie are a lot about this 25 year old person, like trying to become an adult and realizing being an adult sucks and sort of regressing. And like, I'm someone who likes, especially like with good writers and directors, like I tend to give them a little more room and leeway because like, I don't think Michelle Williams, Dolores character in this movie is like a one-to-one, oh, she's a great example of a fridged character. Because, I mean, she's got a lot of shit going on. And, yeah. and like, and uh, there's... More complicated than... Yeah, it's it's more... Compl- that's a great way to put it. It's more yeah. complicated than that. She has her own backstory, too, and she has her problems. So it, it isn't just about his problems. It's about the fact that he let her problems keep going and ignored them. So she was Yeah, but that's the tragedy of his character is it's not even necessarily his fault right. either. It's not like, oh, it's like, like when he says, like, I killed them. It's like, right. well, like I, 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 I think a lot of people are, again, going back to sort of that media literacy thing that we were talking about at the beginning. It's like, if a character says something, that doesn't mean it's true. Right. Like, and it doesn't mean that's what the filmmaker thinks. Mm-hmm. Like, like. Scorsese does not think Jordan Belfort is a cool guy. Right. Like, and if, and people that think Scorsese thinks Jordan Belfort's a cool guy are just wrong. Well, and actually, that's the interesting. <laughs> that was another difference from the book and the movie is they actually made the Teddy character much more likable than the book, like, played him out to be. Like, the I think the book played him out to be not as likable, which, again, I, I don't remember reading it because it's been so long ago, but that was one of the big things is they, you know, you, you can't have this main character that you follow along and has this horrible tragedy and not like him because then yeah. it's like you're just gonna not even like be invested in his journey because you're just like he's a dick anyway like so when also like all the characters around him are so shady and mm-hmm. and presented as so they're presented as like maybe crazy mad scientist or that yeah. they're all up to no good and so well yeah and when he first goes into the guy's office and he sees all these like photos of the like old insane asylum yeah. of like the original Those are creepy. yeah which i mean almost it almost plays into his mental thing of oh they're torturing people here this is because it's like look but and really you know in the history of you know insane asylums it is a general you know accepted thing that this was just where you put the crazy people and they would do whatever they wanted to him yeah you know, like you know, almost drown them, you know, do whatever kind of therapy, like, to try to fix them or just to keep them complacent is really what they were doing. Oh, for sure. And so, yeah, he sees these images and it almost puts it into his head that, oh, these are the bad guys. Like, this is, he's like, but this is what happened here. Well, it's also, like, the Kingsley invites him over and he, the, and they comment on it. He's living in the most opulent house you could ever possibly imagine. Uh-huh. And he tries to, like, shrug it off by being like, yeah, this was so like crazy that the guy who ordered this built got court-martialed because this was so much. Over budget. But, but, but he's also kind of like, but I live here now, so fuck yeah. it. It's like, why is this doctor of this like uh, mental hospital living in like the best mansion I've ever seen in my right. life? That's like wild. 
And then you see where the orderlies sleep, uh-huh. like in a basement on cots and shit, Bunk and, beds, yeah. and like in, in a room that drips. And it's like, what the hell? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, you would, you would think that like he wouldn't be dressed as an orderly. You'd think that they would put him up in like the mansion. There'd be so many rooms. Yeah, that's another thing I didn't even think of. Is like, why did they purposefully like stick him down here? <laughs> Probably so everyone can keep an eye on him, so he doesn't go off and do something. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's 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 like true bad guy shit. To have a mansion that opulent, and then even his car that gets blown up, and he even comments, he's like, he's like, you know, I really like that car, <laughs> right? You blew it up, sir. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, and that's the thing. Where, where are you driving with that car? Right, it's an island. Well, and that's another difference from the book. Is I guess in the book, the island is very small, like almost to the point where you can like see across it, like okay. it's so small. And but in Scorsese made it much bigger, almost like its own character, and that. It gives him more room to move around and be alone. But like in the island, it's like there's always somebody right on him. Yeah. I'd love to talk about a little bit because the the cast is pretty stacked in this movie. Love and... the Ruffalo. <laughs> Anything he's in, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch that. <laughs> yeah. Ruff- you know, Ruffalo is a great place to start because I noticed that there seems to be two camps bet- as far as people how they feel about him in this movie one camp being his performance is so amazing and subtle and like awesome and adds so much depth to the movie which Mm -hmm. i would lean towards Mm -hmm. and some people saying like oh yeah anybody could have been in that role like he's just like a nothing character but i'm like again i I got to watch the movie knowing sort of what the twist was like and and so you know right off the bat when he tries to pull his holster yes. out and he like fumbles. I'm like, what is going on with this character? Right. He's not very good at being a marshal because he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and, and when they're interviewing the patients and he asks them, I forget what the name of the doctor is that he turns out to oh, be. Oh, Sheehan. Yeah. He asked that patient like about Dr. Sheehan and she just like not subtly looks over right. at Ruffalo and goes, <laughs> He's handsome and Ruffalo just like kind of smirks. Like there, there's a lot of stuff that Ruffalo's doing in every scene where, knowing where it's going and knowing like what he's supposed to be there's a lot of layers to his performance i think he's yeah. very good in this movie ruffalo is someone i'm always happy to see mm-hmm. speaking of movies i haven't gotten to see yet i finally poor things is playing in town and i want to see it i haven't seen it yet i've been dying to see it because it just started playing this week finally okay um and he's apparently tremendous in that movie but he's like such a fucking whiny little bitch like if people the trailer yeah yeah if people have seen the trailer it's just him being like a complete ween like he's just bella i love that <laughs> and then he like she slaps him and there's like this long pause he just goes ow <laughs> but oh yeah and this he's great and when i i did take i think a couple notes too in it that in order to set it up to make it believable he had to believe he had like somebody that was a partner but you know obviously they can't have you know a daily partner that he works with regular he had to meet him for the first time on the boat and then they had to kind of set it up to where leo's character of teddy was like kind of this renowned like marshal that he aspires to be and he always calls him boss yeah which he puts him in that role of authoritarian over him but even like part of ruffalo's performance is every time he says boss it seems like Ever so slightly sarcastic. Right. Uh, <laughs> like he's just tacking it on. He's like, what do you think, boss? Right. And it's, it's interesting because he does like kind of lead him places, but at the same time he wants to, it's almost, yeah, from a doctor standpoint of him watching him and seeing where he's going with it. 
because obviously he can't leave his side too much because right. he's got to keep an eye on him, make sure he doesn't hurt somebody. But then at the same time. And the point, one time he leaves him alone, he, he fucking, <laughs> he fucking beats somebody down. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I guess that does kind of like lend to show, okay, he was left alone for this part, like for sure, because he did hurt somebody and they obviously didn't want him to. Yeah. And and it's if if it's to be if the big reveal is to be believed, mm-hmm. we're to understand that Sheehan and uh, Ruffalo's character is Doctor Sheehan secretly, mm-hmm. and Kingsley are the two that are very invested mm-hmm. in Edwards. Is Andrew? Why do I keep saying Edward? Because Teddy is Teddy is Eddie. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and that was the thing. <laughs> the the little note he finds, which it almost makes me wonder if like he wrote it or if they wrote it for him because it was the law of four and you know i think they wrote it for him to set it up to, yeah, yeah to try to like it's supposed to be a really obvious because he says like you're the 60, 67th patient don't you understand right, uh yeah. but he there the, the, the law of four i would have never guessed that it was always oh, because the name yeah the anag- four different <laughs> the like, names it's like okay. that one's a bit that one's a bit of a stretch but right. he so like Kingsley claims that they're attempting this radical treatment mm-hmm. and he basically says like, they're going to be ruined if it doesn't work because they, that cause they, it's like, it is crazy to let a guy just wander like loose cannon all over the Island. So it, it, there is like a weird tragedy to Leo deciding to be lobotomized at the end actually is kind of fucking over Ruffalo and Kingsley. Oh, bad. And especially with Ruffalo, like, realizing, oh, shit, like, he's okay. Like, wait a minute, guys. But obviously, well, it's also like he's not going to, like... At the end of the day, it feels like there's probably, like, there was no treatment that was ever going to fully, like, even though they brought Leo back to himself, mm-hmm. like, that's the thing. Is like, yeah, you successfully put his psyche back into place, mm-hmm. but he's just sad and depressed and wants to die now yeah so but i, I mean I guess, but it is like technically your treatment worked so it's well, kind of sad back in the 50s right yeah like year, like it was like 54 or something and so he back- said yeah he said something like i killed my wife night march whatever 1952 or yeah something like which that. was like two years ago which make yeah lines up with him it, so back then in like the 50s i think yeah, like lobotomies were big at just making the patients like complacent yeah not like but then he's wanting to show that, oh, we don't have to lobotomize these people. We can try the submersive therapy to bring people back and, and work through their emotions. Because, like, okay, now that Leo is back, now we can try treatment, like, and yeah. try to talk about it and come to terms and acceptance. But since he's like, nah, I don't want to, and that they have no proof that it helped him. And so now they're just going to be like, nah, we're just going to lobotomize everybody. Yeah, so <laughs> it actually has this really sad rippling effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... But you also kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, know? like, I mean, the horrors of, yeah, knowing that it was something that you potentially, even though it wasn't his fault, like, he did have a hand in setting it up to make it happen. Like, yeah. how do you live with yourself knowing that all three of your children and your wife are now gone? Yeah, I mean, family. I don't think you, I don't think you ever get past that. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, especially because, and knowing that it was because, you know, he, obviously he had the drinking problem from the PTSD of the, he's trying to, you know, sort through his own shit but mm-hmm. then, and ignoring hers. It's like, uh, it's just heartbreaking all around. Uh, you know, speaking of Kingsley, Kingsley's the, the sort of the lead doctor, I guess the really tough that his name is Dr. Col- Cowley or something like that. When like very famous song, Dr. Crowley or mm. like Dr. Crowley is like a pretty famous name. And it was hard for me to like, <laughs> Not just call him Dr. Crowley, but it's Dr. Cowley. Cowley, yeah. Uh, but Kingsley, always great. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was younger, I mean, he was like Gandhi. 
you know? So it's like, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to ever separate him from the Gandhi role, but mm. he'll just, he's just one of those guys who will just show up and stuff. And I'll be like, Ben oh, fucking yeah, Kingsley. There he is. Uh, <laughs> what else has he been in that uh, I've seen? I mean, the thing that I remember him probably the most vividly from is uh, his stint as the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 oh. is like kind of a wild thing. But uh, yeah, I just always happy to see him. A movie I've been meaning to do for the show for years is Sexy Beast. Uh, I've heard he's really good in that. Uh, the director of that movie, Jonathan Glazer, has only ever made like four movies. And uh, I just kind of on a mission to see. He has a new movie out uh, this year called like Zone of Interest, which ironically is about a family that lives just outside a Nazi camp. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, man. Uh, but yeah. Nazis are real hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Nazis are I love hot. I love a Nazi movie. Here's someone that I'm a little uh, woefully ignorant of, and that's Max von Sydow. Uh, one of like the greats, uh, and one of those guys who's just been in good movies, mm, yeah. S- since like, because uh, like one of the early things is the Seventh Seal, which I've been meaning to do for the show for years. Hmm. Uh, and like, so like, I've never seen that. Nineteen fifty-seven. He's the lead of a movie, and then even up until as recently as like the new Star Wars movies, he's like showing up. Uh, oh, and he was in ex- the Exorcist. Yeah, uh, he's 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 the old priest in yeah. the Exorcist, which is another oh. thing that's confusing because they put him in old man makeup for that movie, so you think he's a lot older than right. he is, uh, but he's actually not that old in that movie. Huh. Uh, he's uh, he's obviously phenomenal in that. He's great in this as this like creepy German doctor. Mm-hmm. One of my notes was like uh, when Leo like grabs him, I was like, take your fucking hands off Max von Sydow. <laughs> fucking respect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that they just have that set up to where they just happen to have him and, you know, he's like German and you have it just played really well into his whole like psyche and like the whole situation of, oh, this guy is probably a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, he, he gives Nazi vibes. Like, right. Because he's like, he's like, you just happened to come to America around the time and he's just like, right. is it wrong to immigrate? And right. Like, well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it happens to be, yeah, convenient time. Yeah. Minority Report, uh, the original <gasps> Dune. Hmm. Uh, th- there's a movie that was uh, one of my favorite podcasts covered a movie he did. Oh, Three Days of the Condor is what I was mm. looking for. Uh, he plays like this terrifying like assassin in that, and apparently he's like just unreal in that movie. But hmm. yeah, just big shout out to Max von Sydow, just one of the greats of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have like kind of a murderer's row of like women who I'm like I know her, but I don't fully know what i know her from mm-hmm. uh like michelle williams emily mortimer and patricia clarkson are all people that i'm like yeah that actor and then i'm mm-hmm. like what were they in where it's like michelle williams is like i i didn't see it but i saw all the trailers for like the fable men so i was like I was like, yeah, Michelle Williams, uh, Steven Spielberg's mom, uh, <laughs> or like, which how dare you? She was Dawson's Creek, like first and foremost in her younger days, which that's what I always think of her from. But now it's it is interesting that like it seems like now that she's older, she's really gotten more into those. Like she's in like every Oscar nominated movie, and she was actually in a really random movie with like Seth Rogen, where she plays his wife that like then like has an affair. It's not the pickle one. No. <laughs> but yeah she's in stuff like synecdoche new york like oh it's called take this waltz it was in 2011 and it's it's just really good because it's about you know obviously the breakup but it's more of about her journeying Mm -hmm. through that but it's just so funny because it's just random that it's like her with seth rogan like and they're together like look at him (laughs) 
Yeah. Like you wouldn't necessarily put them together, but and she's just so good in everything. Oh, she's so good. Like I haven't because like you look at her list, it's like Brokeback Mountain and mm-hmm. Manchester by the Sea. Oh yeah, she's in that too. Blue, which oh, Blue Valentine. Which Manchester by the Sea? So she was the wife in that too, where they also die. Right? Did you? Have you seen I, that? I haven't seen. Oh it. shit! Well, I ruined that for you. I. The thing <laughs> is, everyone describes that movie as like the saddest, most tragic movie. So you ever. know some shits happen. I could. I could pretty much. I'm like, what's the saddest thing that could happen? There's probably a dead kid. Like I, I've actually never been spoiled for the movie, but I'm sure it's a dead kid or something. Like, uh, I don't know though. Maybe I'm wrong. It's uh, <laughs> it's a similar feel to this. It's just very sad. And what is that's Casey Affleck in that one too? Yeah, yeah. Which he does such a good job with it. It's almost like if you just like pop Leo out and put Casey in, it works just as well. Like, <laughs> like he he can cover those Leo roles pretty well, which is surprising because it's like. Whenever I think of Ben Affleck, I'm never that like impressed with anything he's in. I mean, his older stuff, sure, but anymore, it's just. I, 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 I think he's almost better. Uh, some of the movies he's directed, yeah, are actually, like like stuff like Argo, right? Yeah, or, I respect uh, the, the him town. More. Yeah, I respect him more from the background. But anytime he's in something, I almost just think, oh, this is going to either be terrible or I don't know. It's not a big uh, some. Um, I I'm kind of back and forth on him because. I think when he's used effectively, he's mm-hmm. good. Because another another novelist who I meant to mention, whose books I love seeing get turned into movies, is uh, Gillian Flynn, mm-hmm. and like he's phenomenal in Gone Girl. Right. But that's because David Fincher knew, like, I need a guy with like a punchable face, right? To, to like <laughs> that people aren't gonna really like. And if you like look at any of the behind the scenes stuff, they had like such an antagonistic relationship too. Right. And it's like really funny. But then Ben Ben Affleck is really funny. If you, I would definitely say like search on youtube like ben affleck commentary on i can never remember if it was deep impact or armageddon whichever michael bay mm. blowing up an asteroid movie yeah, that he armageddon. did like he was so him and michael bay had such an antagonistic relationship where ben affleck's like this makes no fucking sense and michael bay's just like shut up ben <laughs> <laughs> and also i just like that he's worked with like kevin smith right like, he's funny in the kevin smith movies well, yeah, it's hard to take him serious in a serious role, but it's, it's funny because then you look at Casey Affleck and he's just like the Leo of the Afflecks. Like he's more of like he's he can play those dark roles where he's sad or depressed or dark. I do like Ben Affleck in that there's an assassin movie he did called The Accountant uh, oh. where he's like super autistic or something like that. And like, I just kind of like that movie. <laughs> Apparently Michelle Williams is in, but I'm a cheerleader, but she's not like one of the prominent characters i think she's like one of the cheerleaders from the beginning that's like <laughs> creeped out by natasha leone <laughs> blue valentine a movie i need to do for the show oh, yeah uh, that's with um ryan reynolds gosling I or think. gosling yeah <laughs> wrong one it's a different movie if it's well, ryan reynolds. right gosling you know the ryan's i was picturing i think it was because there was something recently where i saw like ryan gosling saying something to ryan reynolds and i like mixed up their names <laughs> <laughs> emily mortimer was another one was like she she ends up being the rachel the first mm-hmm. Rachel that we meet, just like a British actress who's been in like five million things. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, her. Honestly, uh, just when it comes to her, just special shout out to a somewhat recent movie called Relic. She's one of the leads of that movie. That movie properly fucked me up. Uh, it's like this horror movie where it's it's kind of just about Alzheimer's and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's like, treats alzheimer's almost like it's like turning you into a creature and it's it's mm-hmm. like it's like this really interesting take mm. uh and you know speaking of ryan gosling uh she's also in lars and the real girl which is a movie i've seen bits and pieces of but kind of need to sit down and 
fully watch but yeah she's i mean she's great as the rachel i like her scene that she has with leo where mm-hmm. she's like freaking out and then she pretends that he's her dead husband but then mm-hmm. she turns on him and then also like retroactively when you see her in like the nurse's garb you're so like yeah. was that all a performance like where, like where are they finding these nurses that are like oscar award-winning actresses to like work, right? work at this place well and it's interesting too because some of them are the patients like not all of them were like because obviously you're gonna have this big you know insane asylum full of patients that have to play along but they're yeah. uncontrollable like but i mean you got to take some of yeah them. you have to wonder if like the two that he interviewed maybe they're some of like the less psychotic patients and they they yeah. knew they could like send them to him and they but it makes you wonder like that guy the first guy that they interview he's he's got these horrible things where he's like you knew she like i mean he says he's like disgusting sexual things and Uh part of you is like retroactively was he coached to say that or is he actually just a creep or and then the thing i love about that interview is like leo just does this thing with the pencil yeah he he just like it was gonna piss him off yeah and i was like what's that all about and that makes you wonder if he really was a patient that he's pissed (laughs) off before and purposefully was doing this yeah it's also like i've just never i've never in a movie because all of us have done that before yeah where you like scribble the pencil so hard that you break through the paper but I feel like I've never seen someone do that in a movie, right. and it like it kind it kind of got under my skin too. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it! <laughs> it! It should be said like both the cinematography and the editing of this movie are like fucking incredible. Like mm-hmm. what the DP does, like I'll I'll look up his name just to give him a proper shout. But like what they do with like light in this movie is all so purposeful. The, when the moments where Leo's in shadow, when they decide to like put the sun out, when they decide to just robert richardson um and the pencil stuff doesn't work if it's not edited and sound affected Mm. it's a terrible way to describe sound effects like you know sound design right uh but the the reason it works is because it's just such a complete package i think a lot of other people trying to get across this idea of like how on like because it gets under my skin and that's just a sign of like great filmmaking i think like Mm -hmm. i mean maybe or maybe i just have like ocd and and right maybe it doesn't bother other people as much as it bothers it's kind of that (laughs) idea of you know someone wearing like swishy pants that just like every swish (laughs) just absolutely grates at you and it's like you need to capture that and it's like because anyone can just take a pencil and be drawing and you know it won't be bothered by the drawing itself because they're it's purposeful but if you're just randomly just just to do it it just, yeah, it just makes you, because it's just sound for no reason. And I think it's that sound for no reason that just grates at somebody. Cause it's like, why are you doing that? Yeah, like I hate when I have like a thing, like if you're at like a long table and someone like way down the line keeps like tapping. <gasps> oh, and you can feel it <laughs> Yeah, too. And you can feel it. And you're just oh. like, please stop. Oh, I'll lose my mind at like <laughs> sporting events too, where you feel someone kicking like, yeah. and it's down the row. And I'm just like, stop fucking kicking. I can feel every little movement and there's no need for it. So stop it. <laughs> I I I used to film city council meetings and I had this giant aluminum tripod and they were so fucking boring. And without realizing it, I would like tap my fingers on the (laughs) tripod and my fingernails were making this like, and after the meeting, one of the council people was like, Hey, uh, can you please never do that again? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, shit. oh shit, I'm sorry. I did like, never. You need a, a little fidget years, toy to play with. <laughs> never in a million years would have guessed you heard that. Right. Uh, Robert Richardson, uh, apparently even more of a goat than I realized. He's done almost every Tarantino movie, mm. and almost every Scorsese movie. Oh wow. Uh, I mean, we're talking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Inglorious Bastards, Jeez. Django, Kill Bill, Hateful Eight, Casino. 
Aviator, Natural Born Killers, JFK, A Few Good Men, like just wow. Wall Street, The Equalizer. Like, oh my God, this guy is goaded. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then and speaking of the editing, like I, I always, I never, I never think to shout out the editing, but Scorsese works with Thelma Schumacher. Shoot, shoot. Yeah, Schumacher. Uh, spelled, I, I always thought it was Schumacher, but I guess it's Schumacher. But she she edits like all of his movies, and she deserves just as much credit as he does for how good his movies are. Right, because his movies are always paced incredibly, mm-hmm. and it's her. Yeah, like she is great. I cannot remember if she's left us. I don't think she has. It was Tarantino's editor that left mm-hmm. us somewhat recently. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she's for for decades been the one that's. Wow cutting together some of the greatest movies we've been getting. And with how complex these are, like, I mean, because you got to think just how much footage they shot for these scenes, like, multiple times and picking and putting it in the right spot. And, yeah, just, and I mean, yeah, you don't have to worry so much as continuity on this. So it's like, it's probably a little more forget. But it it just seems like, yeah, any point where it it is very obvious, it's like, oh, they probably did that on purpose. Because that was the one thing that stood out the most was just when she was yeah the, the empty glass, glass of water and it's still I'm thinking and, and it's funny because the way they frame it at first you can't you don't quite see it because it's at the bottom of the frame yeah. and then she lifts her hand up just enough and you're uh-huh. like whoa 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 she's whoa. not even holding anything but she <laughs> sets down a glass of water like that's freaking weird yeah uh, um uh while I still have uh, Patricia Clarkson again just another like it's like yeah she's in Easy A and the Green Mile and jumanji and like all these movies that i've seen and i'm like yes her mm, oh yeah so uh, she was the one that was the rachel solando that he talks to in, in the, the cave. cave yeah and like she essentially only has one scene mm-hmm. where she's just giving him the truth but then it turns out she's maybe not real at all uh and again it kind of like some people have pointed out the fact that that entire conversation happens with like fire mm-hmm. flickering on their face because the fire thing is pretty huge too because he claims that Andrew is Andrew Latus. Yeah. Uh, he claims that Latus is a firebug, mm-hmm. and then uh, he doesn't have his cigarettes or matches for like the whole movie. It's always Ruffalo that's lighting his cigarettes for him. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the cave scene with the fire, and then you've got Ward C, where he's just like chaining match yeah. after match after match, and you find I think it's implied that his wife tried to kill herself by burning the apartment down mm-hmm. so so like there's a lot of stuff with weird stuff with fire and people have pointed out like oh the patricia clarkson scene there's fire in it the whole time so that means it's like unreal and stuff like that so i don't i, I don't fully know what to make like it's insane that like he just sees a random cave on a cliff and right and she's just in there with like a tin of beans she's been getting <laughs> by somehow and nobody found her yeah she moves around <laughs> but she's great uh she's mm-hmm. just uh Speaking of Jillian Flynn, she's the mom in the Sharp Objects TV show they made. Uh, Jackie Earl Haley gets one scene in the movie, but he, he makes it count. Uh, most people probably know him as Rorschach from Watchmen, uh, but he's just been a great character actor for a long time. Uh, he recently got a turn at bat playing Freddy Krueger in the mm. recent Nightmare on Elm Street movies, yeah. which uh i think he did his best unfortunately that movie is terrible <laughs> uh <laughs> if people like it hey that that's that's totally fine i i didn't particularly love it but he's just one of those character actors that's been doing it for decades and just always a pleasure to see him mm-hmm. uh, like when he showed up i was like who the fuck is that and i was like oh it's like <laughs> and it's just, it's hard not to think of like that you don't seem to understand <laughs> i'm not locked in here with you <laughs> You locked in here with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole like 
his the the way they did his cheeks is like yeah so startling uh uh-huh. yeah when well, he's already kind of a goofy looking guy anyway like yeah. he has those very prominent like <laughs> he's just a weird looking dude like, and it's funny because it's like i would never like guess his name or what he's in but it'll be like oh yeah i've watched that i've watched that and i'm like oh shit he yeah he's been he's been in a ton of he's just a character actor yeah. speaking of character actors ted levine plays the warden uh mm-hmm. i think it's impossible to think of ted levine without thinking of buffalo bill <laughs> yeah was she a great big fat girl uh, <laughs> he's great in shutter island he's uh-huh. he basically exists in the movie to just stare at leo and then he gets one scene where he talks to him and it, it fucking yeah. slaps well like, and it's it's interesting too because it is such a well thought of like it, it's unintentional on their part because obviously he's just the warden that's his job but he looks military he even says oh he looks like a military guy which plays into his whole paranoia yeah he like, calls him a, an asshole and the yeah. orderly kind of laughs and goes yeah he is right <laughs> like cause it's like yeah i mean when you're like the warden of a uh, like these horrible criminal like that have done the worst things it's like i mean you are essentially running a prison so yeah because it's like this double-edged thing where they're simple you have sympathy for them because they're not right in the head right but it also means they're impossible to control mm-hmm. uh you know they have that conversation about literally chaining them to the floor yeah. so they won't get loose and it's like they'll die and they're kind of like well if it's either us or them yeah like, like we can't have 24 psychos running around right <laughs> yeah because like the sea is where they keep the worst of them which yeah is- the, the old Civil War fort. There's like a funny scene where I think Ruffalo yells about, he's like, they got him locked up in a goddamn fort or something like that. Uh, <laughs> like, he's like, what do you think is going on around here? Right. Uh, oh God, the reveal of like the lighthouse mm. scene towards the, not not just the conversation they have, but the build up to it. Because like me as a first time watcher, even though I know the reveal is coming, when he goes into the lighthouse, I'm still like, it's been so built up. Mm-hmm. And he goes in there and he busts open the first door. Fucking nothing. Nothing. <laughs> busts open the second door. Fucking. And not only is there nothing, the rooms are tiny. Uh-huh. And you're like, I, I just had this like sinking feeling in my gut where I was like, oh God, this is just. And the last one, he hears a little bit. He busts in, but then it's just, it's just fucking Ben <laughs> Kingsley behind a desk. And he says, baby, why are you wet? Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Right? The it's amount very... of whiplash I felt like, I like, what did you just say? <laughs> I don't like that at all. And also it's like not even the line. Like it's like, why are you wet, baby? Yeah, yeah uh, the way <laughs> coming from him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ted Levine, another like incredibly underrated character actor. He's been in a million things. He, uh, Jurassic World, Fast and the Furious, American Gangster. But I'll always remember him as Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. Would you fuck me? <laughs> Like fuck me. <laughs> Actually, uh, very recently, um, I covered Married to the Mob for the show, which is this Jonathan Demi movie. And I realized watching that movie, I had not seen a lot of Jonathan Demi movies. I really just seen Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the director of that, and I think Silence of the Lambs is a legitimate masterpiece. Mm. But both of those movies, he plays this song by Q Lazarus called "Goodbye Horses," mm-hmm. and I'm like thoroughly obsessed with that song now and so i i have this like seven minute version of it that i just listen to on a loop <laughs> and it's funny because in married to the mob it plays during this like sex scene uh-huh. this really nice date and then in silence of the lambs it plays during the would you fuck me scene so it's got <laughs> this wildly different context huh. uh, but yeah no uh he, he's proper intimidating and, and it's funny uh coming to this movie because a movie i covered for the show somewhat recently is zodiac Mm. And John Carroll Lynch plays sort of like the head guard 
that brings them onto the island in the mm. first place. He's like, yeah. got the cigar and he's like, we're all on edge or whatever. And he kind of just keeps appearing. And he's so menacing. Uh-huh. And like, he just has this face where you just don't trust him at all. He's scary. Right. Uh, and, and it's such a good pick to put him as the lead guard because you're immediately like, I don't trust this guy. Yeah. Like, but he, he's like, laid back enough that you're like he's not like super mean about it he's like you gotta surrender your guns he's like we're not surrendering our guns he's like i can't let you on the island right. like, and you're just kind of like oh you're up to something but right like you're not being that it's like why it, won't you just let them have their guns but it's also like you're not being that crazy about it so yeah. like he's just i think he's great in this movie too mm-hmm. and just like such good casting yeah uh, to, to put him in that role I, I i believe that he oh no never mind scratch that I'm just, uh but yeah he's he's been in five trillion things uh minor special shout out to Elias Cateus, who plays in the one dream sequence. He's the got the crazy scar and the double eyes. He mm. he's like Leo's what he pictures latest as. I just mm-hmm. Elias Cateus just shows up in a lot of random movies. I think he's in Bound, I want to say. Uh the Wachowski's first movie. He shows up for like two seconds and he's like mm. super memorable in that. I, I wonder, am I wrong about that? He's on a lot of TV. I, yeah. I believe he was on one of those like CSI shows or uh, he was on one of those shows that had like 500 episodes. Yeah. It looks like several like the Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD. <laughs> yeah. He's just always someone like when he shows up, you're, you're happy to see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's he just will he'll show up in random shit. Hmm. And I wish I could pull. Because now that I'm thinking about it. It's not bound. But he shows up as like this like. He's in the mood for like two seconds, and he, but he really pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know what it would be. Is it Defendor? No, he's. Oh, well. <laughs> uh... <laughs> he's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. He's but... one of those guys that I'd never remember his name, but I always remember seeing him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like... the, only, the only reason I always remember his name is because uh, the feature film that we did, we named one of the lead characters, his last name was Coteus. Mm. And so I always remember Elias Coteus because I'm like, that we named a character Coteus. Oh, I just got, I got Elias Coteus confused with Christopher Maloney. That's what happened. Uh, <laughs> which I think if you look at both of them, that's not a... Oh, they do look very similar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not way out of bounds for that one. Right, yeah, no, that's similar. Uh, well, especially now that they're older, they like look very similar, the like bushy man brow and... Yeah, if people if people have seen Bound, they know I was I was talking about Christopher Maloney and that not Elias Coteus. But yeah, I actually like. Uh, I'm glad we talked about some of the actors because this movie is actually kind of structured in a way where a lot of the memorable scenes are sort of the centerpiece is these actors. Like the warden really only has one scene where, he, and it's funny because once you realize where it's going, um, you can kind of read into the conversation they have where. There's a couple, like a lot of the people that aren't supportive of like this experiment, supposedly that they're, they're doing when they talk to Leo, it's a lot of like Max von Sydow and the warden are both just like, you're a violent man. He's like, he's mm-hmm. like I'm not a violent man. And yeah. he's like, I didn't say you were a violent man. I said, you're a man of violence or mm-hmm. it's like this pedantic distinction where he's like, you will act, you will never leave. And. And then when the warden talks to him, he's like, if I tried to bite your eye out right now, he's like, you defend yourself. And he's like, you can try me. And he's like, the warden's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Because like the warden's convinced he's a dangerous criminal because that's like his mindset where it's just like mm-hmm. con- contain, control, 
he doesn't really have any sympathy for these patients. Yeah. Like the he's not there to treat them. He's no. there to house them and keep them from killing other people. Yep, and and like he's pushing Leo in that scene, and you can really read between the lines of the conversation they're having, and you see. Like, as the movie goes on, you see the edge in Leo come out a little bit more, too, where he gets violent with that other patient, which, I mean, he definitely goes too far, because yeah. he, he just, like, keeps hammering on him. It's like that guy was, like, choking him and pressing him up against the fence, so there's, like, it's, it's like a gray area, you know, but, right. but then you find out that, supposedly, he's the one that fucked up Jackie Earl Haley, because mm -hmm. Jackie Earl Haley called him latest, and he's like, I'm not latest, and, like, beat the right. fucking shit out of him, and so you're just like, oh. Uh, so he has very violent tendencies. Well, and it's interesting, too, that they, like, risked that, knowing that, oh, you know, he called you by your name and you went off on him and, and almost killed him, like, to now immerse him among all these patients and being like, well, what if one patient, especially as he's being weaned off his medication, but, I mean, at times they do, they do give him medication, which is fun, and so it's like, you kind of wonder, well, are they giving him aspirin or are they yeah. like, fully withdrawing him or giving him maybe little bits? It's hard, it's hard to, to tell. Subdued? Because it's like that, the Patricia Clarkson mm -hmm. image is like, it's it's in the coffee, it's in the cigarettes. Right, and... you've been drinking the water? <laughs> it's in the water, too. You took pills? <laughs> oh, my God. Which is funny, because it's actually the opposite. Like, they've actually been weaning him off the medication. Yeah, but, him. but you wonder, like, were they still slipping him a little bit? I don't know. Or maybe just enough to cut the edge off to where he isn't as dangerous. But, like, isn't that the whole point is to see if, oh, if we take him off the medicine and try just therapy? Like, so I, you almost wonder as... You have to keep that out of it in order for it to be a true experiment. Right. Because it's interesting because I'm someone who does take medication for like anxiety mm -hmm. and it helps me a lot. I've noticed like it's one of those things where I'm of two minds about it, where I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about stopping a reliance on medication has helped them a lot where, but I also just, I've seen a lot of success with just like having a small dosage of like buspirone mm -hmm. and but this is like the 50s. And I think what yeah. Kingsley's kind of talking about is like, because I'm never like anti-medication, I mm -hmm. guess, is my stance. But when you think about what medication was back then where it's like, oh, we just give them horse tranquilizers and just, shove them in the corner. Right. Like that's the kind of medication that he's talking about. It's like, we don't just want to put you like out and shove you in a corner. We want right. to see if there's a way to treat you. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that was another thing that I was wrestling with with this movie because, you know, Mental illness is an incredibly complex thing, and it's not like you just need to like go for more walks and, you, and you'll <laughs> snap out of it. It's like yes, sunlight is important, yeah, uh, but and diet's important. Oh, there's so many things that are important. Sleep is important, mm -hmm. uh, but Leo, the the nature of Leo's stuff is interesting in a way that I don't feel like it's because I've noticed that's another thing talking about movies that are really hard for some people to like. Uh, a lot of times I notice when there's movies that deal with like mental illness, people will just be like, this is so not what it's like and such, so, so like wrong, but he's dealing with like, essentially he's created this alter ego mm -hmm. and they're like, we can't even begin to treat this until we break him out of that. So right. it kind of skates this line of like, well, you know, maybe that is what you'd have to do. Like it's radical. And again, these are doctors in the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I, I kind of am like, I don't really get too hung up on that. Right. Uh, Cause I am wary of like, I've listened to a lot of people talk about like, it was a trope. It's like the villain has schizophrenia or the villain has multiple personality right. disorder. And like, there's real people in the world that suffer from stuff like that. It's like, it's just a thing that I deal with. Like I have schizophrenia, but I take medication for it. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like, 
oh no, it's like, I'm schizophrenic, so I'm going to get a knife and kill my own mother and stuff right. like that. It's like, we, we definitely don't need to be villainizing things like that. Yeah. But uh, at the same time in this movie, it feels like it treats it pretty seriously where it's like, it's not like, it's definitely not played for lightly that his wife was depressed. It acknowledges like what she's going through and how that might push you to a certain point. It was, I had a moment where, cause there are, and I don't mean to get super dark on the show, but there are instances where mothers have essentially done what Michelle Williams does oh, yeah. to the kids, mm -hmm. but there's something about the fact that it was in the lake that and one by one, like it's go like the, in, it's this grab actually, one, <laughs> take it out. <laughs> it's a, take it, out. <laughs> take it out. Well, because then you got to think the other kids are like, "What's mom doing to sister?" Like, yeah, it's, it's like if you like, because the thing is, like, I have definitely read stories about like one by one, she took him into the bathroom and like yeah. dumped him in the tub. Mm -hmm. That almost makes more sense. It's like if you've got him locked in a room and you're grabbing him one by one, and then maybe they don't even know what you've done. Yeah, but like something about the lake was almost a little too much for me. Where it's like, I had to like, again, I don't mean to be making fun of it, but I had like almost a, maybe it was like me coping, but I had like a comical moment of imagining her with all three at once, just like right. randomly trying to dunk all of them. Right. Like, like Stop I was, moving. I was like, what were, like, I just got really hung up on the logistics well, of this. Well, because it is pretty far from like the house to the lake as far as like where she drowned him. Because like he walks out. It's a lot far. of effort. Yeah. You'd have to go one by one. And I mean, the youngest was, I mean he was able to carry them all at once. The youngest was pretty young. So obviously you can say, oh, that one was last probably because he doesn't really know what's going on anyway. Yeah. But like the oldest and the middle child seemed pretty close in age. So I'm like, it's kind of hard to believe that the one didn't try to like run away when he sees what's happening. <laughs> but there's a part of me that likes how- Maybe they could be napping. They were all napping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, that's a great point. She could have drugged them easily. True. Like she could have been like, here's your milk and then just laced them all with mm -hmm. like sleeping yeah. meds. And so that's certainly a possibility. But- I kind of like how over the top it is because yeah. again, it adds this weird layer of ambiguity to the movie where it's like really all the way out in the lake. And then she's like sitting there dripping on the, the bench and somehow this all magically happened like the day you were coming home. And like, right. there's a lot of weirdness to it to where it's like, is this really what happened? I'm kind of curious. Like, uh, I, I like, and, but the thing is like, it's so fucking cinematic. Like when he's like wading through the oh, thing like carrying the kids so and like I, I saw somebody pointed out that like that scene is like the scene where i was like leo is a fucking great actor because he's like i felt and it is like it, it's not over the like he's like he's a shot like it's really hard to play shock mm -hmm. properly because a lot of people will just be like oh i'm just like dead in the face because i'm shocked like he's you see the emotions are like mm -hmm. cycling on his face and then he's like uh she's like hugging on him she's like i love you he's like so if you've ever loved me, yeah, stop, stop talking, talking right now. That was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> you gotta stop talking right now. <laughs> she keeps talking. Then um, he fucking shoots her. Ugh. Which again, I love that the gut shot mm -hmm. was foreshadowed in the dream sequence because yeah. when he's holding her, the blood starts like pouring out of her stomach. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, I, I love a movie that's like not ultra like slashery that mm -hmm. still isn't afraid to get bloody because like there's something like borderline iconic about like emily mortimer in that one dream sequence when she's got the blood all over her face and the three kids are like dead at her feet mm. and she's just like staring at leo like won't you help me with this it's like so uh, bizarre yeah. and like the smoke being reversed into the cigarette mm -hmm. and uh, the, again we kind of got away from it but like the sequence where the ashes are raining down and like her back's like caved in and all ashy mm -hmm. and he's like holding her and like 
it's it's like so and the dream stuff is so vivid in the color yeah as opposed to like the dreary grayness of, of the actual island it's just like the juxtaposition so just it's it can't i cannot say enough good things about it but i i want to i was going through reviews on letterboxd and one of the ones i hearted was like i can't remember how they phrased it but it really made me chuckle because the movie really focuses on the daughter mm-hmm. and it's like the other two kids right? just it's like, like, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, fuck them <laughs> <laughs> it's like he carries all three of them out but then he's like massaging the daughter's foot and, mm-hmm. and you just see the other boys just laying there fucking dead and you're just like like he wasn't even doesn't even have memories of them like right. in his dreams he only remembers the daughter it's so brutal <laughs> maybe it's just because that one was the oldest and he probably had the best relationship with that one as far as you know being able to communicate and having that because like obviously when they're younger it's more just play and I guess if you have this older child with this personality and you know hobbies and you know school interests and stuff it's yeah like you just have much more of a like because I mean you got to think too in terms of. Okay, he has the PTSD of seeing all these dead children at like you know the the concentration camp, and so which he does picture his daughter there. Like, yeah, she's before the one... he fully realizes it's the daughter. Yeah, because at one point he sees Emily Mortimer and the daughter, yes. and she's like, "Why didn't you save me?" Mm-hmm. And even at that moment, you can kind of be like, well, yeah. "Oh, he feels guilty as a soldier for not getting there soon enough." Like right. again, I love the parallels. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you got to think how much too plays into his relationship too with the daughter, you know, mm. and seeing those dead bodies and how it was different when he came back from the war, probably. And like, who knows, like when those children were born, like it could have been when he was gone. Like, who knows what that type of situation was where it's like, OK, he came back for a little bit. She had a baby while he was gone, but he probably has the best relationship with the daughter. So that's probably why she had that such a resounding effect on him mentally. It's yeah. all subconscious. So you got to think, too, because sometimes, you know, you ever have those dreams where some random person that you saw in high school once but never actually met or talked to just shows up in your dream. Yeah, and totally. You're like, what the hell? Like, why does that person who you don't even know, which. Oh, speaking of, have you seen the which my friends all hated it, but I kind of loved it was the Nicolas Cage, the one about him being in everyone's dreams. Uh no, I didn't oh. see it yet. I, I would love to know what you think about that, just because, we, like I said, I went with friends who like are all very big moviegoers, and I feel like I'm more the literary person, and so this weird concept of, you know, a guy just showing up in people's dreams and getting, like, famous off of it, like, it's such an interesting thing, and I loved it. My friends are like, no, we this is terrible. How is this a movie? And I'm like, I loved it. Yeah, it came, it came out, like, during this chunk of, like, I just was like dreams, like dream scenario was on my radar for months because mm-hmm. to me it looked like about as close to a Charlie Kaufman movie as you could get without it being a Charlie Kaufman movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I was like, what a great premise for a movie! Like it's this random weird schlub, but he just is yeah. showing up in people's dreams. I was like, it literally looked like a movie that was tailor made for me, and then I just mm-hmm. didn't fucking go see it. But then, but then I, I think part of it was like a lot of the reviews are like it's pretty good. And then it really shits the bed at the end. And I was like, oh, that that makes me like nervous about because like I don't mean to. Yeah. Like I don't let other people's views of me. Like I just I I take the movie as I take it and Mm -hmm. I either like it or I don't. I will say I agree with that and that like you just need to watch it and then see where they take it and be like, why the fuck did they do that when it was such a good like it could have been such a good movie. And then they took it in this weird direction, which Mm. I mean, it's already a weird premise. Yeah, but then like the it's way it's a great premise. It really is, and well, and my friends hated his bald wig was so badly done. Like, and, <laughs> and they said that took them out because they're like, it's like they didn't even try to make the makeup look even. It's just like bald wig, like bad. So it's like some of the things where it's like, 
that couldn't have been intentional. Like the makeup people were bad or because I don't know. It's kind of one of those low budget, but they have fun, like, you know, dream scenes were obviously very, you know, elaborate to film. So yeah, obviously like, some money uh, like went some, into it. Some of the, like, because I thought it was like a fairly low budget movie, but then uh, the trailer, I was like, some of these dream sequences yeah. are crazy. Where it's a lot it's like about stuff the like flying all over the place mm-hmm. and like floating and yeah. <laughs> but then it's like they couldn't like get a good bald wig going on like that's the one thing my friends were like tied up on i'm like you gotta look past it like obviously it's terrible like dude maybe that's why they did it so bad is because he is a schlub that you're supposed to not like but like this crazy thing happens to him and like it's just one of the scenes too in the trailer where he's like talking to that lady and she leaves and he's like oh yeah but I see it. and it's like such an awkward exchange i'm like i do that shit all the time yeah just, nick, like, nick cage is is a personal favorite of mine and he's very much dependent on who's directing him mm-hmm. like he will be in the shittiest movie you've ever seen <laughs> and then he'll be like oscar award winning in mm-hmm. another like of recent years uh i recommended anyone that'll listen to me to watch the movie pig i haven't seen that yet because he is fucking fantastic in yeah. that movie and the thing is like uh like that movie uses him to a really great effect because it's such a slow burn slow boil movie and the whole time you're watching it, you're like, but it's Nick fucking Cage. <laughs> and you're waiting and waiting. Uh-huh. And then it turns out, like, the movie's really not about that. And mm-hmm. that was, I think that's 2020 when that came out. And that was, like, my, uh, it was either 20 or, 2020 or 2021. And that was, I think, number two or number three on my favorites of the year list. That that movie really bowled me over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gorgeous, too. Like, and he's just so good in it. And it's, that's, like, the movie I point to where I was like, you want to see something... I was like, in the last like two years, Nick Cage did pick, and he's phenomenal in that movie. I really, for years, I've been meaning to do uh, Bringing Out the Dead, the Scorsese movie that mm-hmm. he did, because I'm just like Nick Cage in a Scorsese movie. That's mm-hmm. got to be like amazing. So I've been I've been meaning to get around to that one for literally years at this point. Uh, but yeah, it's just a randomness. Have you seen his uh, Willy's Wonderland? Where no, it's, I didn't. It's basically like Five Nights at Freddy, but with him being this badass that like, yeah, goes but, into clean. Like, it's like just, isn't he completely silent the whole movie too? He's yeah, he's very like aloof like the whole time, and it's it's just it's kind of amazing though. Like I loved him in that, and then he was in this one that I from 2017 that I had watched called Mom and Dad. Oh sure, yeah. You seen that one? I haven't, but I know it. Oh yeah, where it's like all the people's parents like go crazy yeah they all lose their minds yeah there's a there's a podcast i listen to called cinephobe and uh they play a clip from that movie all the time where he's like talking about kids these days he's like he's like he's like ass to mouth mouth to ass uh, and like the <laughs> boyfriend walks in he's like hi brad anal beads like because <laughs> like, he's just like this angry guy uh-huh. uh liam f on letterbox uh sucks to be the other two kids who seemingly weren't worthy enough to feature <laughs> in his dreams and hallucinations. Right. And I mean, and that's something that's, because I mean, he is coming off medication and it's like, you can't blame him. And I mean, I guess there's a reason obviously that they chose not to include them. No, it's just, it's just cleaner. You can't have like the three kids every time. Comp- and every dream. Yeah. Like, it's, I just thought it was funny. Like, there's yeah. a part of me that's like, it's like, well, what about the other two kids? Well, and it would be kind of too big of a hint drop in that they start with her story being she drowned three kids and if he's seeing three kids. and Very it's, true. It's, it would be too big of a hint, I think, like two on the nose. Yeah. It's like, and it is brutal. It's just like, man, the like the kids thing is, mm-hmm. it, it, again, like, sort of like the Nazi internment camps and things like that. There's layers to this movie where it's like, these things kind of did really happen in real life. So it adds mm-hmm. this layer of like real horror in a way but it doesn't feel 
sensationalist or like there's a lot of movies that come out that are like based on a true story mm-hmm. and it's like that thing that happened to uh nicole uh so in there, the nicole brown simpson it was like somebody made like an exploitation movie that was like her last days or something like that oh. and, it, and it's just gross and exploitative whereas like yeah. this is just taking real life horror from the real world and sort of like incorporating it like naturally into yeah. the thing it just gives the character a background it doesn't make that the the thing yeah where it's like i i don't know like to me scorsese seems like such a thoughtful guy uh he's like and he's it's also interesting because there's a real through line of like his own like catholic guilt mm-hmm. that like runs through a lot of his movies so it's interesting to see him do a movie like this that has a little bit more to do with like nazis and what they did to jewish people and stuff like that but you can see like the real clear connection like he's he strikes me as like a very spiritual guy mm-hmm. and he seems like so empathetic to like what happened to all these people he's like i've said it a million times on the show because i've covered multiple scorsese movies for this show at this point mm-hmm. but he's one of the only filmmakers who is still to this day making great movies mm-hmm. and i do think a lot of it just has to do with like who he is as a person. He's like an empathetic guy who's mm-hmm. never quite run out of things to say. He's evolved yeah. over his career, like stuff like Killers of the Flower Moon yeah, and like so the Irishman. Mm-hmm. Like the Irishman is doesn't really come into focus until like the last like 40-ish minutes of the movie where it really starts to reveal itself as to what it's all been driving towards. It's like this sad old man, lonely thing. Yeah. And like I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon, but I've heard oh. it's like it's just like, you know, talking about these real life things. But yeah, and he said it's been a story he's been wanting to do for a long time. And, and it's interesting, too, because it's like, okay, you got this old white guy. He's going to do the story about how the old white guys fucked over the, you know, Native <laughs> Americans. So you have to do, you have to pick somebody, obviously, who's very good. He's going to do it tastefully. He's going to do it historically accurately, which I've read. It's, it's very much, you know, it follows it pretty accurately. Because, I mean, these are people like, I think the granddaughter is alive and so she like was talking about yeah, yeah. how like her relationship with him because uh it's it's just nuts and and what he, they do such a good job in that movie is just making it about you know the the native american women like they're mm-hmm. the central and everybody else around them are just the like almost filler because i mean obviously leo and de niro are a huge part of it like, yeah. in a lot of scenes obviously but it's about them and what they're doing to them and it's just done so well and and they're definitely going to be some I, I feel like she'll win for actress like they'll get the oh yeah Oscar. is it uh lily what's her name lily moon uh yeah something like that but uh i don't know <laughs> i i'm not good with actor and actresses names and no no you're fine yeah uh but yeah she did such an amazing job because it's it's such a solemn role like you know having like you know your family lily gladstone yeah taken out like that and you have to be able to because like you obviously trust you know your spouse and so just the way she does it is incredible like yeah i I feel like the thing that i've heard people talk about the most from that movie is her performance Mm so i'm really excited to to dig into that and Mm -hmm. it's i'm interested because it looks like leo's playing like a guy who's like kind of (laughs) stupid like i love the the one trailer they put out that really got me was he's it's almost like he's reading from a novel and he's like can you spot the wolves in this picture? <laughs> and you just get that wide shot of all these old white people turning to look at the camera. And also Jesse Plemons is in it. And I'm just, I'm I just, love him. So I, much. Jesse Plemons. I'm obsessed with him. He, yeah. And, and that's, it, and he's so, it's interesting. Cause he's like almost kind of typecast now is that like, cause he was in 
a f- season of Fargo too, I think. Yeah, with his wife. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst, which is awesome because <laughs> I think that's where they met. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's just like it, I anything he's in, I'm like on board. Ever since he, you know, started in like what Breaking Bad, where he's yeah, where he plays weird. that weird unhinged character. <laughs> yeah, and it's just from there to see how he's grown and not just in his weight because obviously he's gained a lot of weight, which is funny. He but fluctuates. He's looking. He he's looking pretty svelte in the uh, the Civil War trailer. Is he? Uh, where he's like, have you seen the trailer for that new Civil War movie? He's like kitted out in this army gear and he's wearing these like yellow gunner glasses and he's so fucking scary. <laughs> You're like, what the hell? Uh, he's great in Judas and the Black Messiah going toe to toe with two of my favorites, Daniel Kaluuya and, and uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, yeah, he does look pretty like evened <laughs> out. Like, yeah, cause he fluctuated. I think it was in Fargo where he looks like, I don't know if they. He's, he's doughy in Fargo. He's very doughy. He, to me, J- Jesse Plemons has been sort of, in my head, I've slotted him as sort of a Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. successor, where yes. it's like, I really miss Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm. but I think Jesse Plemons is in that same name, yeah. not reincarnated, <laughs> but you know, what really locked it in for me was, did you ever see I'm Thinking of Ending Things? Yes. Um, oh I just God. think he's so, I mean, obviously- uh, everybody in that movie is great, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm actress. obsessed with Jesse Buckley. Yeah, like, oh god, she's so good. But he's so good in that movie, and and like that scene at the end where he sings that song. I think it's from Oklahoma. Mm, uh, he's yeah. like the floor is creaking. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, like he's God. He's so good. He's so pathetic. And good. I mean, she was in Women Talking as well jesse buckley yeah have well she was in the, she, uh she was in the second to last uh, season of fargo and most she recently. was in men have you seen men? i have seen men oh. <laughs> oh. men is the same <laughs> men is the same director as uh the civil war movie oh wow uh there's this movie coming out where it's like just straight up america goes to war with each other again mm. and it's like kirsten dunst is like a journalist trying to like document it and, oh yeah I've and, seen if, that and, trailer. If you, and if you watch the trailer jesse plemons is just Got a fucking AK on his shoulder, <laughs> and he's like, "You guys best be moving along." Uh-huh. You're like Jesse Plemons, right? What are you doing here? <laughs> I have seen that. That, that like her, talking about Herbie. That's funny too that they're in it together. Yeah, too. well, they're in they're in Power of a Dog together too. Mm. Uh, they're they're a married couple in that, uh, and so they they're just like working. They're like a they're like a true power couple. Huh. I kind of love it because yeah. I mean she's amazing, obviously. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and this is and it's funny because you'd never like couple them up. It's like, because, I mean, if anyone I would pick him with, let's see, if we were to pick somebody. <laughs> if you were matchmaking. If you were Mac ma- ma- making him, particularly, like, you would almost think you'd be, like, somebody comedic more along. Because, like, it's like, he's almost that average dude where it's like, he looked like he could be working at a bank or, you know. Yeah, he's, like, <laughs> maybe he's more like. He dates Anna Ferris or something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. But it's like, oh, Kirsten Dunst, holy hell. Good he, he's a very serious actor, though. Yeah. I get the feeling that him and Kirsten Dunst have, like, incredibly intellectual conversations, right? like, about the work, because uh-huh. they both take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst someone I need to do a slightly deep dive on, because I've been meaning to clean up my Sofia Coppola list, and I've never seen Marie Antoinette. Mm. Um, I, and I think, yeah, I know Sofia Coppola has worked with her a couple times. Because she's in The Beguiled, which I have seen. But anyway, we've gotten very far afield. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't, don't even know. I guess I'm looking at oh, I'm looking at Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. That, that was where, where, was where we got right. wildly off track. Uh, but yeah, I mean, gosh, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think if there's any... The dream sequences are my favorite stuff. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I talked a little bit about it at the very top of the episode. 
I am simultaneously sad, but okay with the fact that I knew the big twist Mm -hmm. because it allowed me to analyze the movie on a slightly deeper level without just, but the thing is like, I still didn't fully know where it was going. Like I, I mean, I didn't know that his, the, his background was what is, I didn't know what his wife had actually done. Mm -hmm. That hadn't been spoiled for me. All I knew was like, oh, he's a patient. Right. or whatever and but i didn't know the extent of it mm-hmm. and i didn't like i just really i think it this is shutter island is a very classic example for me of a movie that does have a very big twist that is mm-hmm. sort of uh the hook like it's like sell it's like oh there's this crazy twist and like the first time you watch it like it'll maybe it'll blow your mind or whatever kind of reminds me of like the first time i saw arrival mm-hmm. did you ever see that movie yeah. the amy adams like alien movie Denis Villeneuve we dropped his name earlier about Dune but um there's a big twist at the end of that movie like Mm. a huge twist like first time I watched it like gave me goosebumps like really bowled me over and I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it uh but this movie I think a lot of people get really like whoa he was a patient the whole time (laughs) um but all the clues are there and the thing is like this is an example of a good twist movie where the movie isn't a movie where you just watch it one time and the twist knocks you out and then you really have no reason to ever watch it again because there's so much more going on. Yeah. And I just was glad like for the first like 20 minutes, there's all these like cheeky little he's doesn't where are my cigarettes? I could have swore I had them. And you're right. like, Oh, I wonder why he doesn't have. Ci-. That was like how I was feeling at the beginning. It's like, Wonder why they didn't give him cigarettes. Well, it's oh, wonder why everything's why. so overly exaggerated too. Like the character, it's a very character. Like oh, he's a, he's a detective, a marshal. Like everything's <laughs> over the top, and obviously you find out later that's why. But it could just be oh, he's just a. It's very over the top because it's the fifties and it's- when the, when they first get there, the guards are incredibly on edge. He's like, oh, yeah. he's like, why are all these boys on edge? I don't know why I've been doing Southern for him the whole mo- the whole episode, but I just can't see Killers more. of the Flower Moon. Probably got that Southern <laughs> accent of his. Can you spot the wolves in this picture? <laughs> uh, but me knowing he's a patient and like the fact that guards were all bristled, I was like, oh, they're all like nervous because he's a patient. And they're like, right. why the fuck are we letting this guy run around? Yeah. And like, it, it, I it would have been funny. It's so obvious when they're doing the search mm-hmm. and they just keep cutting all these guards, like just skipping rocks right. and like sitting, they, yeah, there's sitting there smoking for. cigarettes and stuff. They're like, we're not looking for anybody. There's right. nobody loose. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny in retrospect because it's like, yeah, they know this is all bullshit. Right. Uh, and <laughs> so it's, but at the same time, I still think it all like holds up. I, I'll be curious, like down the line, if I ever do rewatch this film. The thing is, like, I think what it really has going for it is the performances are so good mm-hmm. and the imagery is so striking. Yeah. Like, this is definitely a movie I could see myself just enjoying rewatches of and mm-hmm. looking up like people that had seen it before. It seemed like it hits even harder for them on subsequent rewatches, which means it doesn't live and die on the twist. I'm curious, like, obviously you'd seen it before, so, mm-hmm. but you watched it very recently for the show. Mm-hmm. Like, could you give me like sort of a summary of like your feelings coming back to this movie? Well, and it's funny too because I watched it with my husband because we have this these movie poster scratch offs where you know it has all these classic movies from you know the past however many years that we, and we're watching them together and so I was like oh Shutter Island that's I've seen it already but it's also on our movie list we, we and I want to watch it for this so let's watch it together so we watched it together. And I'm almost like watching it, but also watching him watch it. Oh sure. But then, H- had he not seen it before? Well, <laughs> that's the funny thing. Cause, <laughs> 
you know, obviously it came out in 20, what, 10. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely watched it in theaters probably because I'd read the book. And then uh, I'm like, I get to the end and we wa we're done. I'm like, oh, did you? Because I, I always, he's so good at catching twists. Like, okay. And I'm terrible at it. Then I'll, <laughs> I, that's why I like rewatching them because I'm like, oh, yeah, that, 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 that. And didn't pick on any of that because I'm always so good at dismissing them and like going, oh, that's just, you know, what they put. And then he's like, we, I knew it already. We watched it together in theaters, I'm pretty sure. I was like, oh, like, because that's how bad I am with, I go to movies all the time. I didn't even, but so I'm like watching him react to it and going, oh, and I'm taking notes and stuff and like going, oh, I know the twist. And like, he fucking knew the twist too the whole time. But it, and it was just funny to pick up on all those little things because like, I was really bad too at like, if you've ever seen the De Niro movie where it's like him and is it Dakota Fanning? It's like um, Cape Fear. No, it's one where it's like he's much older. Um, uh, he his like wife dies. It's always one of the <laughs> the trope of the wife dying, and so <laughs> and the little girl has this like friend that he's like, who are you talking to? This and that, and there's like a twist in that too. Yeah, I don't you know, know this one at all. You don't? I think. <laughs> oh, it's oh, De Niro, and I'm sure it's Dakota Fanning. I'm pretty sure it is, and I think it's hide and seek. Yeah, I don't even know if I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good one, and that's one where it's like when I rewatch that, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, there's so many little hints. Like, yeah, and I'm I'm bad at all of them. I never catch them, and I get really excited when I do. But this is one where I'm like, oh okay, yeah, they, because I read the book, so obviously I knew that before going to the movie. Um, but yeah, just picking up on the little cinematic things that they yeah. leave in, because it's obviously you can do much more visually than in a book where it's like you're mad the storm it. is like the when they're at the graveyard and the storm oh, just intense. goes <laughs> crazy it, I, I just was like it's like comically mm -hmm. like the thing is like storms like do, <laughs> do get that bad but i was like mm -hmm. this is insane mm -hmm. if you tried to run to that mausoleum you would just be ripped apart by branches yeah and there's a part of me that's like we talked about up top like are the storms real? I don't yeah. know. Like Ruffalo seems to be shouting over something, but would they really be out there wandering? Or like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like but that then, would be a safety hazard. Thing but, the, but then uh, I forgot the name of the, the head guard. I forgot it. John Carroll mm -hmm. Lynch, like seems to always know where they are. Yeah. There's a part of me that's like, does Ruffalo just have a radio on him at all times to like mm -hmm. signal to them? But then people pointed out when. Though. Would they have that? Oh, I guess. Yeah. Like, they don't have radios, I think. Yeah, they had radios. Yeah, but wouldn't it be obvious to him? Like, if Probably. he pulled out a radio, like, Shh, we're over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, maybe there's like a, maybe, I don't know. There's a moment where when he leaves Ruffalo on the cliff, mm -hmm. uh, you see Ruffalo reach into his jacket as Leo's like turns away from him. Mm -hmm. And it obviously was purposely done. I don't know if it's just him reaching for a cigarette or if he was like reaching for his radio to be like, he's wandering towards the lighthouse, so... Keep an eye out for him or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's 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 kind of wild. Uh, well, and that was another thing too that seemed a little too perfect was when he was like climbing the like mountain thing, and then that piece of paper just happens to fly up next <laughs> to him. Like, there's no way that happened. Where because like he was really trying to make him look at it to see like, hey, yeah. look at this that I found, and he wouldn't look at it. Cause yeah, want to face that. The, the latest thing, mm -hmm. but but then Kingsley has the paper later, so yeah, because he refused to look at it. So that's why I'm almost wondering, like, how did that even happen, or like how much of it at that point was his delusion? Well, yeah, how, were the rats real? Yeah, the rats were an interesting thing to filling <laughs> out, and I mean, I, it makes sense too, because I mean, at sea, you know, and like boats and stuff, rats. That's how rats, you know, came to the Americas anyway. Was yeah, but it's ships. like. 
that's not the first time Scorsese's used rats mm-hmm. symbolically, right. kind of kind of infamously on the nose. Does yeah. one at the end of The Departed that people always kind of <laughs> make fun of, where it's like, look, he turned out to be a rat. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just interesting the sheer number of them, which I I don't know if I took any notes about the rats, but I was just like, wow, that's a lot of rats. I just know from uh, I was listening to people talk about the first Rambo movie. And there was discussion because there's rats in that movie because rats can be trained mm-hmm. and like wrangled. Mm-hmm. And I noticed like when Leo was moving around the rats, like I think they like did some creative like angles so that he could actually step through the rats without ac- accidentally stepping on any of them because I was just like watching it. But there is this like one shot where he's starting to climb up and one of the rats like narrowly avoids like like him being stepped on. So I was like, what was going on there? Like because mm-hmm. the people are very strict about like. You cannot hurt these animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finding out that a lot of that cliff stuff was actually studio green screen. So mm-hmm. I presume I'm like some of them might have been CGI rats, but they looked pretty good. Well, and maybe <laughs> they put like some kind of like smell deterrent oh, on those sure. areas where like he was stepping to keep them away. Yeah. Like if you watch it really closely in the foreground when he's like stepping through them, there's a really big cluster of them and they clearly just like smeared peanut butter <laughs> all over the thing so that they would just like right. congregate there. <laughs> yeah. I had a pet rat as a kid too and I remember watching something on TV about how they like train them for movies and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Rats are very smart. I think it was like the for the movie Willard like I watched oh, the okay. scenes because you got that one crazy dude that was uh Oh, uh, who played him in Willard? Oh, the kid or the guy? No, the older guy, Willard. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, or the uh, guy in the Green Mile? That yeah, no, has... it's it's this guy that played him. Oh, uh, uh, not uh, the- Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover, yeah. Yeah, because he's just that fucking weird dude, and so having him with like a bunch of rats is just perfect. <laughs> yeah, Crispin Glover. Uh, for some reason, I always- my one of my big pulls for him is the Charlie's Angel movie. Oh, he's so yeah. he's so weird in that movie. Oh, he doesn't he like smell her hair? Yeah, I, that's the only <laughs> thing that sticks out from that movie is he's like his hair just always looks wet in that movie too, and he's always like very dramatically like slicking. Oh it back. yeah, he's such a weirdo. <laughs> like, but he's in so many good things too. It's funny. Like, well, yeah, obviously Back to the Future. <laughs> like, but then yeah, you have him in that, and yeah, Charlie's Angels. What else was he in that was just like he just plays the weirdo? Well, I think he's I think it's probably his most, he's the dad in Back to the Future, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, he's he's fun. <laughs> yeah. But he was in uh, Gilbert Grape too. Like every, it's like the however many like degrees. <laughs> it all just keeps going back to Gilbert Grape. Which, and it's funny too because he plays in that movie the funeral director. And so it's funny because like one of the dudes like drowns and he's just or like they ask him to like how's how's work or whatever he's like eh it's fine it's kind of slow nobody's dying like, <laughs> just kind of this like weird dude like <laughs> um is there any like big things you wanted to talk about before we do our final thoughts and ratings and all that good stuff hmm. um not so much for on my end I mean I'm I'm still streaming on Twitch as Moto Rex and here and there oh we'll, we'll do plugs at we'll, oh we'll, we'll plug. Oh, okay. No. Like, oh, you mean like I'll, movies? I'll, I'll definitely give you a chance to plug. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you guys should go check her out. Okay. But, but I, I always like to end on that. So that's the last thing people hear. Like, right. It's okay. like, as they're in the episode, it's like, Moto Ruxin, I got to go do that. Gotcha. I'm just talking about like final thoughts on the movie. Mm. And then I can never remember if you like to do ratings or not. I don't force my guests to do ratings. I'm kind of locked into doing ratings at this point, but I don't put that pressure on my guests. Like it, some people like to, some people don't. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I guess as far as like final thoughts is I do recommend the book. 
Like if you do oh, want to read one, like, and so that way you can kind of compare it to, or even if you haven't seen the movie and you just want to like read a good book. Do you like, have like, I mean, are you like, I like the book better. You like them both equally. I feel like I really loved the book. And like I said, I was kind of mad that they kept out the one scene that I was like looking for the the where he was playing cards with like the order release. Cause I felt like it was just such an important scene at the time. And that was like the big difference. That's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know why it was so important to me, but I was just mad that I was like, oh, that's the one scene that they didn't have. And I was really excited to like watch it. Like um, that was good. And then I also do recommend, at least as far as other things going on, like I've been going to the Regal mystery movie. Oh, sure. Lately. Yeah. If you've ever done that, it's kind of one of those where it's like you go in not expecting anything. They give you a rating and a runtime, but the runtime's never the actual runtime. It's kind of within a half an hour. And so then you have no idea what you're going to see. And it's always been movies that I would never just go to sure. on my own, which has been kind of cool. So yeah, I've been I, I've seen every once in a while, but like, I should go do that, and it just never really mm-hmm. like a good example is Poor Things just mm. finally dropped. Mm-hmm. But of course, I find out that it's coming out the week that I decided to just pack my schedule completely <laughs> oh, full of right. like podcast episodes because mm-hmm. like I was so good before the holidays of just like racking up episodes, mm-hmm. and then. Like last week, I was like, I'm out of episodes, oh, and yeah. so I just like went on the spree where I was like, I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, who do I like that I haven't had back on? And I was like, let's text Brittany, yeah. sex Kurt. I was like, Justin hasn't been on in a minute. Andrew hasn't been on, and then now, but then what ends up happening now is I recorded an episode yesterday, mm-hmm. I'm recording an episode today, I'm recording an episode back. Tuesday, recording two episodes Wednesday, oh my God. and I might be recording an episode Saturday, which is fun because I get to watch all these movies, and right. then I'll be stocked up. I'll be good for like two months basically, mm-hmm. but I also. I'm like, I really want to go see fucking poor things. And right. then like I'm doing all this stuff where it's like mystery movie will be Monday. But then, of course, I'll mm-hmm. be working that Monday right. late or something. But it seems like such a fun time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the last one I went to ended up being, which I think the very first one I went to was like this goofy horror movie that was like bad. It was like it's called Founders Day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> And it was like, I mean, it was a movie. It was fine. But it was fun. And you like have no expectations going in because you don't know what it's going to be. And then the last one we went to was um is called uh oh what was it now uh, origin which is about uh an author uh that wrote the book cast uh which is about like the caste system the origins of our discontent so it's like literally about how you tie together like the nazis and treatment of the jews with african americans in america with then the untouchables in india Okay. And, but then I didn't know anything about her backstory, about her family and all the tra- and like I was left like crying and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I went in thinking this was going to be a cheesy something and now I'm like looking at my life and I bought her book and I'm like, it's just movies you wouldn't see on your own. No, that's super cool. It's neat. Yeah. That's another reason why I like doing the show is sometimes people will be like, let's do this one. I'll be like, oh, okay. I didn't yeah. even <laughs> think to like put that on the list, but sure, why not? So, um, oh, I should, okay. Yeah, I forgot. I do do ratings. So. Yes. Um, for me, this kind of movie is like Shutter Island is very up my alley. Mm-hmm. I like the stuff like this. There's a lot of like tropes in here like this. He's talking to Jackie Earl Haley, but Dolores is in the corner of the cell, like being like, mm-hmm. don't listen to him. Don't you still latest doesn't blah, blah, blah. And like, mm-hmm. and like, she's like wet. I mean, there's something like haunting about that shot of her on the swing Mm -hmm. and there's that wet puddle underneath her like she's just been dripping and she's like sitting kind of slanted Mm -hmm. and god like the lighting i just can't say enough about the cinematography when she turns to look at him Mm -hmm. she's in complete shadow but because of the way it is like 
you know she's looking at him mm-hmm. and us almost like the POV of the camera. And it's just like so well done. Like mm-hmm. I really, this to me screams like fresh off the watch. I'm like very positive about it. I could see this movie even, I could, what happens on the show is I give like my first impressions mm-hmm. and then like two weeks later is the real sign of whether something stuck with me or not. Because if I'm still thinking about the movie, that means it was great. But the problem is, like, I've just watched it last night. Right. <laughs> I don't know if two weeks from now I'm still going to be thinking about uh, Michelle Williams, like, bleeding from the stomach and all the stuff that happened in this movie, or if I'll, it'll just get wiped from my mind because I'm about to watch seven other movies. Right. Like, I don't know. I, n- I can never tell what's going to stick with me. I think this one will mm-hmm. stick, though. This is very up my alley, the psychological twist, but still, even just little things like him using that tie to like blow yeah. up the fact the symbolism of he's like he's like i love his tie because you got it for me but mm. this is one ugly fucking t- ugly <laughs> right. goddamn tie or whatever he says yeah. like it's like the one humorous thing in the entire movie because uh-huh. you are like that tie is kind of hideous but... right and he's wearing it <laughs> oh. but it's also like him using that symbol of her to to go find the truth is like there's so much going on i really like how well thought out it is um I'm kind of uh, leaning towards if people have never listened to the show before, God help you. Uh, <laughs> but I have a grading curve. I'm a little harder on movies than I am normally. Like, uh, so when I say I'm giving this an eight out of ten, that's a pretty damn good score yeah. on this show. Like, eight is like rarefied. Like, okay, we're talking like I really liked it a lot. Could probably subsequent watches or maybe a month from now when I'm still like looking up scenes from this movie. I'll feel bad. I didn't give it a nine, right. but that's where I'm kind of at right now. I'm at an eight. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's great. I mean, and then probably rolling straight into recommendations because I pulled up Scorsese's work here. Like if I'm looking at everything Scorsese's made, like Shutter Island is very, is so much in my wheelhouse. I, I would probably put it pretty high up there, but I would say like, you really can't go wrong in terms of recommendations. Like you can't go wrong with, any Scorsese movie like everything he makes is at least watchable Mm -hmm. if not really good I'm still working on cleaning up my list of his like I still haven't seen like After Hours King of Comedy Mm -hmm. Silence maybe I'll do haven't seen Cape Fear Bringing Out the Dead but you know I've did Goodfellas for the show it was just as good as everyone says it is I mean if you haven't seen it do yourselves a favor and and watch it Taxi Drivers like the OG like holy shit like Mm -hmm. Scorsese's here movie i really liked the irishman um the departed is twisty and fun aviator i did for the show recently and i do highly recommend that it's a great leo performance uh again there's like so much going on and there's like some dreaminess to that movie too that you can there's there's stuff he did in the aviator that watching shutter island i was like okay yeah like especially like the flashy when he's having those migraines and the lights mm-hmm. are too bright he, he plays with that a lot in the aviator mm-hmm. so you can like see him like working some shit out um i was trying to think of like psychological things that maybe people would enjoy another movie i did for the show that has really stuck with me is black swan Mm, like when you talk about movies where our main character's pov is maybe not quite to be trusted and we're not really sure what's real Mm -hmm. i think that fully slots into and i think the same year uh 2010 both those movies Mm -hmm. came out uh inception i mean it's more crazy and over the top and nolan e but i was surprised by just how much i liked inception like inception really knocked my socks off mm-hmm. I, I avoided watching it for years because i just didn't think i would like it and, right that's the problem when people are all talking about it and 
it's like you just get this conception before <laughs> you even get into watching it. <laughs> and, and here's a weird one. This isn't necessarily a recommendation. Um, actually, we, we did talk about Gone Girl. Special shout out to Gone Girl. That's maybe my favorite David Fincher movie. I fucking love Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. But there's something about mental wards that I can never fully shake uh, the movie Sucker Punch out of my mind. Mm. I think that movie is terrible personally but there's just moments in this movie that were reminding me of it for some reason (laughs) just because like it's just uh, like sucker punch is one of the movies that i just wish like i want to like it so bad it should be so up my alley Mm -hmm. it's like a movie about like five badass women going into this dream world and like fighting giant robots and dragons and doing all this shit while also dealing with like the psychological trauma and then the lobotomy stuff is something that hangs over the movie. Have you ever seen Sucker Punch? It's it's a, it's a dumpster fire, but it's like <laughs> some people really like it, but some people are just like using an example of like how shitty Zack Snyder is. And like, I'm kind of a Zack Snyder defender, but, and last but not least, uh, another sh- movie I covered for the show, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Like if you want, uh, if you want more grounded psych ward stuff, uh, you got One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I absolutely recommend it ended up being as good as everyone says and uh girl interrupted i uh, quite i quite liked i think that's one of my favorites um very good movie mm-hmm. uh but yes and is there any other things you want to recommend or do you want to go into plugs you know there's a couple because it's mo- mostly from the like your recommendations too of things that make you think of it um if you've ever seen the movie identity john cusack's in that um no i haven't oh that one's a really good one to watch and it also has this kind of crazy guy who he's in all kinds of stuff but i never remember his name he has like this weird eye thing that he can do too pruitt taylor vince is this guy he's like okay he's really good at just playing like this mental looking dude like and (laughs) and but then john cusack's in it it's like great cast and it's one of those kind of slow like reveals too you know what's funny is you you brought up john c mcginley earlier too Mm -hmm. dr cox yeah uh, and he's in that movie too oh yeah yeah and you know what's extra weird is i've not seen it but the guy who directed girl interrupted uh directed identity oh holy shit it's it's all connected and then i think the other one that i have is the father i watched recently with anthony hopkins yeah 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 because it's you may i think you mentioned one about the alzheimer and like that kind of yeah i heard that one's pretty pretty tough that one i think i cried through that one because it's just (laughs) they do such a good job of kind of showing his experience of going through that and the confusion of you know being someone with this deteriorating mental thing because you never really know what's real or what happened yes and it's all these like repeats of living through like your past memories and this it's just oh it was it's tragic but oh you got anthony hopkins is good and everything <laughs> yeah i briefly touched on it when we talked about emily mortimer but i would wholeheartedly recommend relic mm. like that's a classic example of a movie that i finished and was like went on letterbox was like three and a half stars out of five i liked mm. it and then like a month later i just kept thinking about it and just i just couldn't right. get it out of my mind like yeah that's a movie that i think a lot of people were like yeah but there's something about just the terrifying nature of like not being able to trust your own mind. There's like a really standout scene in that movie where she finds her mother just wandering around the woods and her mother has this moment of lucidity where she's like, I'm scared. I don't know why I'm out here. And it's fucking tragic. And you're just like, what a horrible, 
Like that's the stuff that's like truly horrifying to me. Right, because it's something that it could happen to you, and you don't even know necessarily it's happening. Because but everyone's telling you it is, but you don't realize it. And <laughs> and you did remind me talking about movies that have like a big like thrillery, scary reveal. Uh-huh. Uh This is kind of. I'm not going to spoil the reveal, but when I think of like movies with a big twist where I was like, oh, fuck, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think about the movie Primal Fear Mm. with Edward Norton uh, and uh, the detective Richard Gere, Laura Linney. Uh, But yeah, like that movie, that movie's like a a, a mind fuck. Mm. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's got the gear in it. I love him. The gear. The gear, the Richard Gere. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, and then I think the only other one, too, that has, because, like, obviously, I've seen Shutter Island, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember, I love that, and, like, I remember, I love the book, and so that's even 14 years, you know, later, I'm still, like, thinking about it, same with, like, Identity, stuff like that, and then the other movie, which is also an M. Night Shyamalan movie, which was more recent, was Old. Old, sure. I've seen that, like. That's when I get so excited to show people and they're not as excited about it as I am. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I, don't, I just didn't see that that was what was happening or like that's what it was about. And I'm like, I freaking love that when I'm like, oh, that's actually freaking brilliant. I like, think that movie suffered a little bit from being memed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like people just, people really loved making fun of a beach that makes you old. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, because it is a crazy concept, but I'm like, once you re- realize the twist and what they're utilizing it for, like it's, it blew my mind and I get so excited to watch it with people. And I get mad if they're not as excited about it as I am. Like, God, be excited. So that's why I'm like, I give movies like Shutter Island and like Identity a nine for me because it's like something that I'm like, oh my God, in like 50 years, I'm still going to be thinking about this. Sure, like, yeah. Why? And I'll watch it again and be like, yeah, it's still as great as I remember it. Well, that's another thing that I try to examine on this show a little bit. Sometimes I, I fall on my face about it and don't talk about it as much as I should. But <laughs> if you are someone that got to experience like the rawness of the original watching of Shutter Island, that's going to affect your fondness towards mm-hmm. it. Like, I really do think that a lot of times our first interaction with a movie can very much color how we feel about it down the line we have nostalgia we build up stuff i i talk about movies a lot of times like i feel the same way that some people feel about music Mm -hmm. where movies that are my favorite movies of all time like true romance Mm -hmm. like i don't think that movie's perfect but every scene of it is tattooed into my brain almost like a song so when i'm watching it i'm like oh yeah here's the scene where he visits gary oldman yeah i love this scene it's like uh like even just even just throwaway lines become some of your favorite things where he says something to Dennis Hopper in that movie where he's just like, he's like, you don't have any beers in here? And he's like, he's like, I'd stop drinking. He's like, damn, that's about all I ever eat. <laughs> and like, I just always remember him saying that's all I ever eat right. for some reason. It's so weird, but. Yeah, lines it, like that stay with you. And yeah. You carry them with you. It's, it, it's a thing, too, because, yeah, like you have a, a song that you experienced at a certain point in your life. And it's just like you have that feeling, too. It's the same thing. That's why I think what's eating Gilbert Grape has stuck with me for so long. Sure. It's one of those that then it's so quotable. And I still quote it, like even now, like it's just all these like goofy little lines that it's like so well written and so mm-hmm. well acted that you just keep going back to it. And it's just, ugh, we got to do that one next. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I'll do that next. <laughs> I, I need to watch it. So uh, it comes up more frequently than you would think. I know. So yeah. I just, I'm like, I just need to knock it out. Right. All <laughs> and, right. And just see young Leo just yelling and, and doing his thing. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but last but not least, uh, I cut you off before and I, deeply apologize for that but please like plug plug anything you'd like to plug yeah don't worry i don't have much going on <laughs> so if anything i was like i pre-plugged and i'm like that i'm not doing a lot <laughs> like I, I did a lot of running this last year so i kind of put a lot of stuff on hold and so i kind of like prioritized you know sure 
that over well it's like now i'm getting back into playing pool and stuff and then so it's like you don't really have a lot of time for like the the twitch stuff but i am still trying to do like the vendor booths throughout the year yeah like if if people don't know you know you do a lot of like cool cross stitch Mm -hmm. things like you have a fun uh you've done a good job like putting some of that stuff on tiktok Mm -hmm. and seeing those like yeah those are like time lapses yeah those are really sad the time lapses are always just satisfying to Mm -hmm. watch and so yeah you definitely go look up moto ruxin m-o-t you guys will see it in the title m-o-t-o-r-u-x-i-n uh and uh check out what she's up to it's cool stuff uh and uh yeah you're that on instagram as well i believe yeah all the things (laughs) uh yeah you really you carved out like a not a lot of people are scrambling for the Moto Ruxin. I know, I, it's perfect. It's like, <laughs> my dog's name is Ruxin, which is why I named it from the TV show The League. Yeah. If you've ever seen that, I highly recommend that. It's a fun watch, too. <laughs> but no, I really appreciate you picking Shutter Island. This is mm-hmm. like, this is just a, like, it's not a movie I would have thought to do anytime soon, but it's so up my alley. I had such a good time watching it last night. I fucking turn the lights off, which I almost <laughs> never do. I put, put it on the TV, oh. which I never do. And, just like really sank myself into it and I had a great time watching. I had a great time having you back on the show and chatting yeah. with you. It's been so fun, but I should probably go. Mm-hmm. I've already run like 17 minutes over when we technically said this. So. Right. Eh. <laughs> but uh, as I unfortunately always say at the end of every episode, I'll catch you all on the flip-flop later. Bye, guys. At night I can't sleep. I toss and turn. Candlesticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls just staring at a nigga. I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger. My mother's always dressing, I ain't living right. But I ain't going out without a fight. See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating and blood starts coming out my nose. It's somebody watching the act. But I don't know who it is, so I'm watching my back. I can see him when I'm deep in the colors. When I awake, I don't see the motherfucker. He owns a black hat like I own. A black suit and a cane like my own. Some might say take a chill, B. But fuck that shit. There's a nigga trying to kill me. I'm popping in the clip when the wind blows. Every 20 seconds got me peeping out my window. Investigating a joint for traps. Taking my telephone for text. I'm staring at the woman on the corner. It's fucked up when your mind's playing tricks on you.